Hello, everybody. I'm Paul Edwards. I'm the president of the Royal Revival League, and I'd like to welcome you. And I'm going to do something somewhat unorthodox. I'm going to recognize Brandon Reed, who is being kind enough to be our facilitator today, to give our opening CEU code. Hello, everyone. Your starting ECU code is EC139. That is Echo Charlie 139. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brandon, and thank you for handling hand raising later. So I have a very distinguished panel, uh, and I'm very fortunate to have them as to discuss the future of Braille. And I, I think I'm going to start with our youngest panelist. Daisy Russell has joined us, who works at the National Braille Press. Daisy, tell us a little bit about the job you do there. All right. Um, so I am new there. I just started back in September. So I am a hybrid Braille transcriber and proofreader. So I kind of do a little bit of both things, but primarily I'm a Braille transcriber. That's excellent. And did you have to get all certified for, to, to do that? I'm actually in the process of getting certified right now. I'm having a little holdup on Lesson 15. So. Well, that certification is not exactly the easiest test in the whole wide world. So um, we get that. The second person on uh, our panel is ubiquitous. Well, actually, the other two are is ubiquitous at our convention this year. And she is Judy Dixon. And Judy is the banner representative that is the representative to the Braille Authority of North America for the uh, American Council of the Blind, and also is the consumer relations guru at the National Library Services for the for the Blind and Print Disabled. Judy, say hello to folks. Hello to folks. Guru, what She's, a great what a great government word. The, the government ought, ought to it adopt is. it. Well, I can see you're not doing these introductions by age. Well, I'm being <laughs> I, I, I'm being careful to recognize that I actually don't know the difference between you two, <laughs> but you've just given it away. I just so, want to point out we have ninety people now. That is so excellent. Welcome, that is everybody. So fantastic. Thank you so much. Welcome, for being all here. of you. Yeah, and the third panelist is unknown to anybody, so I'll have to give her a really long introduction. She's the former president of the American Council of the Blind. And it is my pleasure to welcome Kim Charlson. And Kim, tell us about the the, the new Braille-related job that, um, that that you're doing now, because I think you are doing one. Well, thank you, Paul. And and I just want to say thank you to everybody who, who dropped in to listen to this segment and who obviously cares about the future of Braille. So are you talking about the mail, Braille, Braille to Mail program that I'm doing? Uh, that was one that I was talking about, but I also think you're you're pretty active working with the international cataloging system. Oh, the um, Marrakesh. Yep. Gosh, there's so many things. <laughs> um, yes, um, and and we'll probably get into that a little bit later um, because it does impact on the future of Braille, which is the availability and being able to share more resources without having everyone have to produce a Braille document or a Braille book. And that's the Marrakesh Treaty for the Visually Impaired that um, went into effect last year um, with the United States signing onto the treaty and ratifying the treaty by the U.S. Senate. And so 
now that the treaty has been ratified um, the, by the United States, the I think the the, the real hard part um, begins, and that's implementation. And certainly, implementing the law requires has required a lot of different steps, including changing some federal legislation, changing some regulations at the federal level relating to copyright, so that. Um, federal regulations and law use the same terminology as the Marrakesh Treaty, which is print disabled. So one of those examples is the name of NLS um, is one example of falling um, falling in with that more conventional language um, that's being adopted within the Marrakesh Treaty language. So um, I work, for those of you who I haven't had the opportunity to meet or work with, my full-time job, um, other than the ACB work I do, I'm the executive director of the Perkins Braille and Talking Book Library, which is in Watertown, Massachusetts, and is the regional library for the NLS program um, in Massachusetts. And we also provide services, particularly Braille services, for people who live in Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Washington, D.C., North Carolina, and Tennessee. So um, we're kind of a east, eastern um, regional hub for Braille services. And, um, and so the work at Marrakesh kind of falls into place for us because we're going to be working and testing the system that hopefully those consumers who want to access books from other countries will be able to use through the Global Book Initiative or the Global Book Service through the um, Accessible Books Consortium, which is the international body that started several years ago to work on implementing the Marrakesh Treaty. So we're going to be testing that system. So that's one Braille activity. And that's going to be electronic Braille, because as you can imagine, internationally shipping volumes of Braille would be just about the biggest headache I can think of. It's hard to get things out of the country anymore. Um, Free matter for the blind requires a lot of paperwork and that kind of thing. So um, the fact that we will be sharing our Braille, you know, in an electronic format is, is kind of a good, is, is, is a good thing. And I guess really speaks to, um, you know, the future and the fact that we can do this. And we can share Braille electronically because of the advances of technology. So I'll just jump jump in there and talk a little bit about that and then let you guys take it from there. But that's, you know, we're seeing so much more use of refreshable Braille technology. Um, it's becoming, I won't say it's, you know, affordable for all, but it certainly is lowering in price. There's, there's more of a range of choices of refreshable Braille equipment, note takers, displays from you know low end to high end. There's it's not just everything you look at now costs thousands and thousands of dollars. There's there's a lot of choice. And there's soon going to be even more choice for consumers within the next year or so because of the work of the National Library Service. And I wouldn't dare not speak of that when the expert is right here who is working on that project, and that's Judy Dixon. So I'll let her talk about that. Judy? Yes. Um, the National Library Service is, as Karen mentioned the other day in the general session, we are developing a Braille e-reader. And the pilot test for 
The first model of that Braille e-reader is going to begin next week. It will begin in four of our regional libraries. And then we're actually developing two different units from two different contractors. The second one will begin probably sometime in October with an additional four yet-to-be-named regional libraries. But the device itself is a very, in both cases, is a very small, very compact 20-cell device that is Bluetooth-capable, Wi-Fi-capable. You can download directly from BARD. You can connect it to your smartphone or your computer. Um, both devices will be able to be screen readers for JAWS and NVDA. And it's going to be a very, very flexible device that will provide an amazing reading experience for people. Daisy, do you do much electronic Braille reading at this point? I do. I'd probably say that most of my Braille reading at this point is done on a refreshable Braille display. Are you looking forward to having more electronic Braille available? Uh, yes, especially having it be more affordable. I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty recent college graduate. So, you know, this is my first full-time job. And uh, assistive technology, as we all know, is very expensive. So I appreciate that having lower costs for people will make it more widely available. So one of the things about electronic Braille and, and, and perhaps the intersectionality of electronic Braille and UEB is that in theory, it ought to be relatively easy um, to create Braille books by, by taking the, the gazillion ebooks that are, that are out there now and translating them into Braille and making them available. So it would seem to me that one of the things that we can look forward to with electronic Braille is a huge growth in the number of Braille-ready books that are out there. Would you agree with that, Judy? I would. Um, I think that's entirely possible. And when, when libraries have electronic Braille channels to distribute those books, that's going to be being we're going to even have more books. And, and, I, and Kim, do you... That, go ahead, Kim. Yeah. yeah, that that I think that it is possible to have much more to read electronically using electronic files that already exist. And I think part of that is going to be, you know, the the users of Braille, because I think there's going to be some things that we may have to get used to. Um, right now, I think we're used to the the beauty and pretty much the perfection of of the NLS Braille books that we get, um, you know, there's incredible contract standards that go into making those books, including the, the BRF files that are downloaded from BARD, making them pretty much, you know, as close to error-free as we can possibly get. And with the improvements in the BARD download, BARD mobile, now having um, what Judy is responsible for producing and making part of BARD Mobile, reflowable Braille that can, you know, adapt itself to whatever size Braille display you have just about and flow the Braille more smoothly so you don't get one full line and then one half line if you have, you know, a, 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 an unusual, like a 32-cell Braille display that can't see, you know, all of the line at one time or half of the line, if it's a 40 cell book or whatever, it, it makes it much more presentable in the reading experience for the Braille reader. And I think that's a really great thing. But, you know, 
when you grab electronic files and you produce them without transcriber experience, and, and Daisy can certainly talk about this, you know, you're going to get a whole mixed bag of, of stuff in, <laughs> in your Braille file because of that original file. So, um, you know, some translations will be great and some might be a little messy and we're going to have to be flexible, but also give feedback when we can um, to make things better if they're not good, you know, at the get-go. What would you say, Daisy? I would agree with everything that you said, especially as books and, you know, styles of documents gets, you know, more fancy with different tables and formats and, you know, pictures and things like that. It's definitely going to make transcribing things more difficult and also, you know, being able to count on files not getting corrupted or things like that, or just, you know, things getting moved around in translation. Those of us who grew up with, um, with Braille as, as computer Braille and, and uh, grade two Braille began to be available and produced by printers, got used to some pretty bad files. And so the fact that they've improved as much as they have over the past couple of years, not by the way, I think partly being responsible, the, the introduction of UEB. Judy, would you agree that UEB has made a difference in terms of creating um, better uh, translated documents? Sure, because UEB is so much better at all of those things like anytime you have a number-letter combination or letter-number combination, um, UEB right. will make that translation a lot more accurate. And so anytime you have a number somewhere, the elimination of the BLE contraction, believe it or not, guys, all of these UEB eliminations of contractions were actually done for some pretty compelling good reasons. And um, I, I, as much as I still, when I see a BLE, the, what? that looks so strange. What is it? And the, oh, that's just the letters BLE. Uh, I, I mean, to this day, I, I, I do a double take on a few of them. But nevertheless, I really believe in what UEB is trying to do to make reverse, especially reverse translation. I mean, there's so many kids in school now yes. doing their work on braille devices and writing their assignments to submit to teachers who don't read braille and that reverse translation has to be accurate or that te that student is not going to get an accurate score on that assignment yep and reverse reverse translation is a major issue i can tell you i i was exchanging resolutions with kim a couple of weeks ago and we got we got an absolutely bizarre error that was that was clearly the fault of the reverse translator so we've talked about electronic files but another major component in in terms of braille circulation is paper braille is the future as bright for paper braille i suspect not but nls is looking at developing braille on demand services so that um, if a lot of people take to the electronic Braille devices, then perhaps the libraries won't have to keep all this paper Braille on their shelves that, that people aren't borrowing. And But knowing that people do still want paper Braille on occasion for a variety of reasons, the library is looking at how to create books on demand. I think we're seeing some decline. The, the, the American Printing House for the Blind, for example, is stopping 
producing the Reader's Digest uh, as of September. Kim is a librarian. Uh, are, are, are you circulating more or less paper braille now than you were, say, three years ago? I would say, I didn't check my statistics, but just being up to speed on what I know, I would say that for, for my library, it probably is, you know, give or take right about level or maybe slightly down. Um, but I, I think the demand is there. And one thing that, you know, I, I think there will be some kind of a, a centralized Braille um, in the future process, because, you know, it's for one thing there, there, it takes a lot of room to have an entire Braille library and not very many places can, can devote that much space to just housing a Braille collection. It's not the trend for libraries anymore to just fill up their walls full of books that sit on shelves. They want to be efficient about how they're utilizing their space and, you know, that sort of thing. So it's, it's going to be harder and harder to maintain that scenario in the world of libraries, even though, you know, I love being able to say that my library goes all the way back to the early days of the NLS program with BR1 and BR2. But, you know, those books are quite old. They're like 80 plus years old almost. And they're, they're, declining in their health and longevity for for this program. They've been sitting on those shelves for a long, long time. And occasionally when we go to the shelves to pick one of them up, it just falls apart in our hands. They're so old, you know. So it's it's sad to see them, you know, going away and, and literally decaying. But, you know, an 80-year-old or 90-year-old Braille book is pretty amazing to see. So it is, I it think... Is pretty amazing. I think we're going to have to look at, as Braille readers, I think it's going to be really important to think about what are the kinds of things that we want to read in physical paper Braille. Because I think those kinds of guidelines to the National Library Service are going to be very important in the future. What is it you really like to put your hands on and physically read it? You know, is it a cookbook? Is it a how-to book? Yes. Is it a, <laughs> is it a children's book? I would agree with would yes. yes is, it a book with, is it a book with diagrams? Is it poetry? Yes. Is, yes. Is poetry. Those are all things that I think are essential to be in paper Braille. Now, some people would argue that the thing they like best is to take their mystery novel to bed at night and snuggle up under the covers and read it. So, you know, I don't know that that will go away, but... Is that I would have agreed with that when I was in boarding school and used to read all night until I got caught by the principal and got to sit out in the hall. <laughs> um, but I think it's going to be important for folks who are Braille readers to very clearly state what it is that they want. Uh, and, and, and I think we need to recognize that there's a very real likelihood, especially if we're spending money on electronic Braille displays at our national library level, that that money's got to come from somewhere and the somewhere may be uh, from the production of paper Braille. The other thing I think we need to put on our little list that we were making of things we want to see in paper Braille for, for me. And I think for a lot of people would be magazines. Yes. Um, I, think I think that's, that's true. 
I think that's a real important thing to continue to have available as paper for, you know, there are certainly the downloadable files and some, some magazines may lend themselves more to being downloadable and they'll work just fine. But others, I think you really look forward to that paper copy. Um, again, because there's recipes and how-to things and directions you want to follow or computer programs, email addresses, those sorts of things. Right. Paul? It's Daisy. You, yes. Oh, I was just going to point out that we now have five people with their hand raised. Ooh. And maybe we should take a couple of questions from time to time and see what the yeah, folks could, are thinking about. We, we could do that. Mr. Brandon Reed is our, is our hand raiser. Um, Brandon, do you want to want to take a question? Sure. Um, Andy Smith, you are unmuted and allowed to talk. Hey, guys. How are we doing? We're well. Um, Good. I just uh, had a quick question. So you had mentioned two, that there were going to be two different e-reader devices. Is there going to be a difference really between them? Or they are. They're both built to a set of requirements. So they have... 20 cells, they have a braille keyboard, they have routers, they have software that does essentially the same things. They are physically different. They have different key structures. I mean, if you like, if you're a thumb key person and you like uh, thumb keys on the front, then you might like one better than the other. I'd love your human wear. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So there are some physical differences and there are some differences in the way the software works. So, you know, they're the same but different, if that makes any sense. I see. Yeah, it makes sense. Thank you. I appreciate Mm -hmm. it. You're welcome. Uh, Mr. Brandon? Larry, you are unmuted and allowed to talk. Yes, I, I may have missed. I was uh, had a, having a little computer glitch during the last answer. Uh, I want to address this to Judy particularly. Uh, you mentioned having two Braille e-readers, uh, prototypes. Do you are you is your is the plan to is the plan to introduce uh, or, or I'm sorry is the plan to eventually uh, have have two machines available or are you just trying to call out features and stuff to make one the pr- the plan right now is to go forth with two machines i mean over time if if one machine does prove not to be as as superior as the other then that may change but right now the plan is to go forth with two machines and that's uh, like you said each machine having different like one with thumb keys and one without something like right. that that's right yeah and i'm an old textbook a textbook braille proofer from the early 70s and 80s i did it about 15 years and i think braille textbooks i i think it's essential that textbooks that have a paper braille component i just think there's uh in textbooks there needs to be you know cited intervention in many textbooks <laughs> thank you larry we appreciate it Let's well, take one or two more questions. Mathematics. I mean, we didn't put that on our list, but I don't think anyone yeah. would disagree with the fact that mathematics. Easy. You, you had a Braille things. math book in your college dorm, you were saying the other day. <laughs> yes, it caused quite the fire hazard in my little entryway to have 30 volumes stacked <laughs> by my door. But that was one of the things that I, you know, I met with my disability services and I said, I absolutely need a Braille math textbook to, you know, get through my math classes because of all the diagrams and the formats of the different problems and things. Yep. But, Absolutely. But I agree. They need to be right. much shorter. They, I don't need 30 volumes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, no student needs 30 volumes. <laughs> one more question, at least, Mr. Brandon. Uh, Jamaica, you are allowed to talk, my dear. 
Yes, this is uh, Jamaica Miller, and I'm from Athens, Georgia, and I have a comment and a question. The comment is that I think we should have uh, songs available for people that are that are singing in uh, singing at their churches or singing in a singing group um, to be able to have the songs in Braille on paper. And my question is about um, grade two Braille. Is there still going to be a, 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 a device that would be able to still do grade two braille or not because i am a um i'm a primarily grade two braille reader and i've worked very very hard to to learn how to learn how to read the grade two braille judy well the devices can translate braille or not and for example in on both e-readers if you're going to read a text file they both have Braille translation built in. So, yes, you'll be able to read those in contracted Braille. That's one of the nice things is people who who are learning Braille and, and are not as comfortable with contracted Braille, they would have the opportunity to read read in uncontracted Braille as well. Now, can they read? Will they be able to differentiate between grade one and computer Braille, Judy? Yes, they will. There is an uncontracted UEB and there is computer Braille. That's excellent. That is excellent. These, these are going to be fun machines when they come. Um, let's take one more question, and then I want to get back to the panel with, uh, with, with one final issue before we open it up. So, Mr. Brandon? I have focusing issues. Area code 505, you are allowed to talk. Yeah. Hi, everybody. This is Ellen here in, in, in uh, Albuquerque. Anyway... Um, you were talking about, you know, keeping paper braille, uh, revived. Now I am a, I use braille for practically everything, but, um, the magazines, when I found out that, cause I got a uh, deal from the reader's digest that they were, they were stopping it and they actually sent me the letter in braille, which is beautiful, <laughs> but I'm like, Oh, I wanted to cry. I'm like this because I like to take my magazine with me when I go out and I'll sit there and read either waiting for a van or at the doctor's office. I mean, it's something to do while you wait. And so it's like, you know, that and then on top of that, we are in the we have the Bible in Braille in two versions we have. And you're talking about church. We had. um what I have done for us, because we're both in the choir, is I'll take the uh, text, the, the lyrics from from uh, the hymns or whatever, and I'll just copy that down. And I've made a couple of notebooks for both of us so that we have our Braille available. So, I mean, to me, we need to keep paper Braille alive somehow, some way. But, Very good. Um, Mm-hmm. But I uh, thank you, Ju- this thank you Jamaica. Throw in my two cents. Yeah. Now this is yep. Ellen here. Yes. Yep. Ellen, sorry. Thank you very much, Ellen. No. Judy, do you want to talk for just a second about the music collection in case folks don't know about it? Well, the NLS does have a very extensive Braille music collection. Um, it's music scores. It's books about music. It's they also have books on how to learn Braille music. In case you haven't had a chance to do that yet. You can get a book on how to learn Braille music and then get 
braille music or different kinds of instruments. Occasionally in my life, I decide I'm going to learn something. And I, I got a book on how to play the recorder. It seemed like a simple enough instrument. Well, it isn't. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, there's a, there's a lot of music, whatever relationship you want to have with music, there's opportunities in that collection. So the last the last subject that I want to talk with the panel for just a few minutes before we open it up for questions for the rest of the session is what's the role of an organization like the Braille Revival League? What, what ought the Braille Revival League to be doing in order to protect the future of Braille? And I'm, I'm mostly looking for ideas and I'll, I'll start with Kim and then I'll ask Daisy to, to, to give us her thoughts. Well, I think the the role of the Braille Revival League and Braille readers in more broad terms is is incredibly important, especially for the future of Braille. We talked about, you know, making our views and preferences known so that um, it can be part of the decision making process for places like NLS and your your network library where you borrow your books so they know what you're thinking and what your thoughts are about how you want to use your braille and i i i think that's going to be an incredibly important role um providing the feedback on things that work and don't work um input on you know physical factors about your your braille like you know I, I often will get comments about um, binding, you know, how materials are bound um, that, you know, people may have some preferences about that. And that's good feedback for producers to hear um, because they may be spending a lot of money on a system of binding that a Braille reader just thinks is not very helpful. Um, sometimes, you, you know, when I, that. well, when I get a program or something that's been done, um, I have a tendency to kind of fold it back as I go through the program when I'm at a theater event or something. And back in the days when you could go to the theater and uh, you know, sometimes it would just fall apart, you know, and it's like, well, that was not helpful. Was it? (laughs) So, you know, we want to have bindings that, that actually work and hold our pages together, but yet at the same time, don't, you know, a staple in the corner that covers up three cells so you can't see the first two lines isn't all that helpful either. So so those kind of things, I think, are are important roles for Braille readers to to do. You know, not complain as much as just give feedback, um, Mm -hmm. because certainly the agencies producing the Braille are doing the best they can, but it's good for them to have feedback on issues that impact us as a reader. Daisy, what do you see? What do you see Braille readers and and the Braille Revival League's role as? Uh, well, I agree with what Kim said. It kind of sounds like we need to do some surveys, you know, send out some surveys and get some feedback about what people want to see and what their thoughts are. Um, I also think that we need to reach out a lot to the students as well, um, because I think, you know, as this panel is about the future of Braille, I think seeing how students use Braille in their daily lives or don't use it and how we can point out ways that they could um, and just things like that. And like I said, thinking about, you know, a lot of students now are using audible textbooks or they're using, you know, eBooks and things like that because it's just more space efficient. And a lot of times it can be 
just more convenient, you know, if you don't have to dig around through volumes or carry, you know, half your, you know, half your dorm room to your classes. So I think kind of figuring out also where, where students are coming from. Excellent. Yeah, Judy? That's, that's what I have to say. One thing I think that BRL could do is begin that work on developing guidelines for paper Braille. I mean, there, there seems to be a fair bit of agreement among Braille readers on the kinds of things we like to read in paper Braille. And some of it's personal preference, but some of it's actual functionality. And I think that a, a set of guidelines along those lines would be, could be very helpful. Excellent. And, and I'm going to throw in another issue. One of the things that I'm concerned about, particularly with adults, is that Braille is not being taught as much as it used to be uh, by agencies uh, who are serving adults who are blind. And, and my concern is that uh, if, if we end up having a diminishing population of Braille readers, at one point, does it become irrelevant whether we're trying to choose between paper and electronic Braille? Um, if, if, that, if that number is so small, that it's not economically viable to produce stuff for that population. One of so, the things. Go ahead, Judy. One of the things I'm hoping will happen is that the NLS Braille e-reader will become a vehicle for people to learn Braille. And well, I think I think it, it can have be. an interactive Braille learning tutorial available on it, and I think it could really be a a wonderful. Yep, I think it could too. I would, um, love, I would love to see that. I have so many calls from people who are trying to learn Braille and they're, you know, they're not connected within the rehabilitation system to get a, a home teacher who can work with them. I mean, our library program has, we're fortunate that one of our proofreaders is also a certified um, rehabilitation specialist. And so she does Braille instruction and tutoring. Um, but I'm often sort of saddened by the fact that we announce the availability of classes and I have very few takers. Now we're trying to develop a little bit more, um, you know, with every, and everybody's been doing this since the, the coronavirus kind of hit us. And that is to, to do things remotely. So it, it is a bit of a challenge to, to try to do Braille support and Braille instruction remotely. But in, in a lot of ways, my, Hadley's been doing it for a long time, although that's a, more of a correspondence course model. Um, it does take a lot of you know, personal motivation to, um, to, to complete a course like that. And I admire people who have done it because it takes a lot of stick-to-itiveness, commitment, personal, you know, personal effort to, to complete that Braille instruction course and not have a, a, an instructor that you can work with right there, you know, person to person. But I think there's going to be more of the remote instruction happening than less as we move out of the, this virus era, because in a lot of ways, it's more efficient. Um, we can serve more people if we can motivate more people to want to learn Braille and identify them and make programs and services available to try to support them. Judy, is there going to be, is there going to be any test required before we determine who these e-readers go to? 
it's pretty much going to be up to libraries. They're going to the libraries are going to um, select the individuals, and the libraries are being encouraged to select a range of people, both people who do have experience with electronic braille and 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 people who don't. And we're we're especially eager to have the people who have not used braille displays before. Um, use them to see how it works for them. Yeah. Mr. Brandon, let's do a few questions. Sure. Uh, that was stop it. Stop moving. Wait. You tell folks that, that doing raised hands is not as simple as you might think it is, because every time somebody else raises their hands, the whole thing starts moving around. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, okay. Michael, you are allowed to talk, and it looks like you're unmuted. Yes. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Uh, this is Michael Byington. And uh, a few years ago, this is a subject that you sort of addressed earlier, but I'd like to hear something a little bit more specific to our situation. A few years ago, our Kansas uh, Rehabilitation Center for the Blind was closed down by state government. And when that happened, we found out that uh, the Braille Collection, which was a small Braille library in that facility, was simply being thrown away. We were able to get to the trough in time to stop that and probably only lost about a third of the collection. And the other two thirds is now housed in our affiliate offices. We do maintain a used to be pretty small affiliate office, but we had to rent extra space because even a small braille collection takes up lots of space. What I would like you to uh, now, most of these materials are pre UEB. Uh, and some of them have, uh, I think, some historical significance. The thing that I would like you to advise specifically, because I don't think that we're the only affiliate that probably has some type of Braille collection in hard copy Braille. Some of that obviously does need to be preserved. And uh, my wife is certainly one person who is very adamant about the fact that we're going to preserve this braille and we are in the process of trying to catalog it and organize it a little bit better but the question is what is the best use for these older collections of braille materials that are a significant part of history and that some stubborn folks don't want to throw away Kim do you want to start it's a good question um and you know I I often feel the same way that as your wife does about, I hate to see any Braille get thrown away ever if there's some use for it. Now, I will qualify that. I, I used to send quite a bit of material overseas to countries where Braille is very limited, but I I also made the, the determination that I would not send anything to another country that was, you know, obsolete or you know, dated material or in any way could be harmful or was so culturally inappropriate that they would not even know what to do with it. It just would make no sense. So, um, so for, for those reasons, I mean, it's always good to, to make those kind of things available, but for, for preservation purposes, it's, it's going to be a challenge. Um, I think, I think older, unique materials that have historical significance. Um, I have tried to to start, you know, preserving some of that in a in an electronic format, so that at least we have the the text or the context of what it was 
available for you know research and use in the future. Um, most of the experience I've had is with specific volumes, um, just trying to preserve them in some way in in an archival setting, if it truly is historic, um, trying to make sure that it gets put into, you know, boxes that can store it safely, acid-free, and boxes that are intended for the preservation of, of manuscripts and older texts. But, but again, that's hard. It takes space. Um, it is a challenge. And so, um, I don't know that there's a, a super good answer. And every time I said, you know, I go downstairs to the oldest part of our Braille collection and I pick up a volume and it falls apart in my hand, you know, a little bit of me cries because I'm really sad to see those older volumes decaying to that extent. And they're just on shelves because there is not enough space to physically preserve them the way that, that they needed to be preserved. Kim, do you remember a few years ago, NLS published some guidelines on guidelines, the pres yes. preservation of Braille? Specifically yeah, and that's, Braille. A, that's a helpful document, at least. It's um, guidelines for the pr preservation of Braille materials. I think I have it um, in my office, and Judy probably has access to it through mm -hmm. the reference section at NLS, probably electronically. Oh. Um, send it to the Byingtons in Kansas. Well, we'd, have to, we'd have to dig for it because I don't know that I've ever seen it electronically, yeah. but we, it might be. Maybe we can try to make that available to people, but that's a good resource. Judy, do you have do you have thoughts on the preservation of paper braille, old paper braille? No, I think Kim pretty well covered it. I mean, you know, optical braille recognition for braille has gotten quite good, so... If, if, if I think what you have to ask yourself, is it the text you want to preserve or is it the physical object you want to preserve? And, you know, it could be both, obviously, but but uh, if it's just the text that you think has historic value, then then that's relatively easy. And and um, NLS presumably has has available some of that. Do you have it in your library as well, Kim? I, I don't have optical um, scanning Braille capability, but it's a it's a good thing for me to consider for my wish list of things that I want to acquire because I think there is a place for it, and you know there needs to be some place that easily can take some older materials and scan them um, for the Braille. So excellent, Mr. Brandon. Another question, Martha. You are allowed to talk. Oh, the Zoom webinar lower. Go ahead. Brandon, is it the case that you are unmuting people yourself? They don't need to unmute themselves? They still need to unmute themselves. I, oh, I okay, allow them to unmute and mute. So. I think your message is a little unclear then because um, they're, they're allowed to unmute. Then they can talk. <laughs> yeah. in, in the webinar, just so everybody knows, there are <coughs> three spots. It says you're allowed to unmute. Then just below that, there's a box that says stay muted. And at the bottom... Is is the is the place where you unmute? Is this the iPhone interface? Yes. Look on the computer. You just I just tab to unmute and and then press yep. that. Yeah, it's a little more complicated than the iPhone. Yeah. So Martha, um, there should be a dialogue on your screen asking you to unmute. Martha. Hello. There you yeah, go. Yes, we got right. you. No, no. I, yeah, I'm sorry. I was having something a computer glitch here. Uh, thank you. This has been a very informative presentation. Um, but what I'm hearing is that, the, of course, Braille has been 
a very important part of my life. And I'd like to know how you see with the new generations, or maybe for Daisy to answer, I'm not sure. Is Braille still something that students and young people look forward to having as a, you know, as a tool, as a, a writing system? Because a lot of people call it, call it a language. I don't know why. It is a writing mm -hmm. system, correct? But mm -hmm. How is it accepted in, in, you know, in the youth or for young people? Is it widely accepted or people are more prone to auditory and oral, you know, devices that, that read or voice, voice uh, devices? I'm Sounds sure to I'm me clear. like a daisy question. <laughs> yes. Um, so I can only speak for myself and my close friends who all, um, you know, grew up learning Braille, using Braille as much as possible. And then you know, as we got older, we switched to using, you know, a lot, um, like refreshable braille displays, the computer, and then the iPhones came out and we started using more audio textbooks as they were available because it's very easy to just listen to a book as you're doing something else. You know, you can go for, you, you know, you can run on the treadmill at your college's gym while listening to your textbook and there you go, you exercised and did your homework. So, um, It honestly, I think it's, it depends. And it also depends on the teachers too. I mean, my teacher was very adamant that I learned how to use a slate and stylus because you never know when you need to write a quick note, you know, and, and, sure. you know, you might not always have your note taker could be dead, you know? So you had um, a good teacher. I had a very good yeah. teacher who really, you know, uh, and I have to admit at first I did not want to learn Braille and it was more, um, because I realized that sighted people were going to be doing things differently than I did. So Um, but once I learned Braille, I mean, I, I read as much as possible and I don't read as much, you know, from paper as I should. Um, and there's definitely reasons for that. And, um, you know, everyone has their preference, but, you know, there is a statistic that people aren't learning Braille anymore. A lot of teachers are saying that their students don't need to learn Braille because they can do everything auditorily or, you know, their vision is good enough up to a point, but, you know, if it changes, then they're going to need Braille and they don't have it because they weren't taught it from a young age. So there's definitely some need for teachers to do their very best to push for learning Braille, even if it may not be useful right then and there. Great. Thank Excellent you. Point. Yeah, that's um, true. I know, I know several people who, you know, learned Braille as students and kind of kept it there in the back of their their toolbox, but had sufficient vision at the time to use other methods. But as they got older, something started to happen and they really did start to lose the remaining vision. And that often can happen. So they, they often will say, I'm so glad I knew Braille, you know, when I was younger, because I just refreshed myself a little bit with it. And now I'm back up to speed. So it can be extremely useful, even if you don't think you need it to, to have it because you just never know what's going to happen with that residual vision that you may have today, unfortunately. Mr. Brandon. Jeanette, you are allowed to talk. There should be a pop-up asking you to unmute. Oh, did that work? It yes. did. Perfect. Um, I use refreshable Braille and hard copy braille and i love the fact that i can use both i wonder if part of the problem though is in what we don't teach young people and what we don't teach older people and something that we may have to invoke which would be a strategy of learning how to accurately search on refreshable braille devices so that 
you can find material because one of my biggest frustrations is I'll look at a hard copy page and say, okay, I need to rebrail this page and I need to find this exact spot in my refreshable book. But sometimes finding those searches and doing them accurately on the computer is the biggest frustration, particularly since you may have to search in Duxbury or you may need to learn another program. And I I wonder if part of our problem in being obstinate about just using refreshable Braille is just that problem. Or is it I've just come late to the party and just don't know everything I should? I think um, I, I, I think it's an issue. Judy, is the new device or are the new devices going to have a search feature built in? Oh, definitely. That's one of the major reasons for putting a keyboard on it. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, you can search. Excellent. Mr. Brandon? Sharon, you are allowed to talk. There should be a screen asking you to unmute. Okay. Um, can you guys hear me all right? Yes, we can. All right. Um, I'm actually a O&M, and I work within several different school districts. And one of the things that kind of frustrates me, and you know, and I'm not the individual who cannot see um, or see well, as the case may be. It, but I have students who their classroom all goes to the library, but there is absolutely nothing in that library for my student to pick out. So is there some kind of a program or a way that maybe some of the older pre-UEB could be housed maybe in a couple of school libraries or you know, a, a clearinghouse, so to speak, that the librarian could call and request 10 That's a really or 15 good question. books? I, I can answer yeah. that if you'd like, certainly. Kim. Um, and I don't know what state you live in, but it I, should... I'm in Ohio. Okay. It should absolutely be possible for you to set up an elementary school or a junior high school as a borrower of the Braille and Talking Book Library program in Ohio Mm -hmm. and get some books for a shelf, have a designated spot in the library and have Braille books on that shelf. So when the students all go to the library, there's a place for your student to go to pick out books from that shelf And, you know, when they've read most of it and the student says there's no new books to read on the shelf, then it's time to send those back and get a new supply from your library. Um, We do that all the time and it works really well. And I'm a big believer in making sure students don't go to the school library with their sighted classmates and then just have to sit there. That's not fair and it isn't necessary. So reach out to the library in Cleveland and, um, and work with the school so that they can okay. they can set up um, a shelf so she she or she can find the shelf and look at the braille books on the shelf and rotate them periodically. That's very doable. Yeah. Okay, because I. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, good luck. Good luck. And if you have any issues or problems, feel free to reach out to me and I'll help you. Yeah, that's what very my good. school library did. Great. Yeah. Here. Yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Excellent. It's good to hear, Miss Daisy. Was that in Massachusetts? It was, yep. Um, so. We got some books from the Talking Book Library, but we also got some, um, fortunately, my school was able to work it into their budget a little bit to purchase some from seedlings and places like that. Um, so we'd have some books that we could keep. How cool is that? 
Mr. And then when I was done, I donated them. So. Yep. Yep. Uh, Larry, you are allowed to talk. There should be a screen asking you to unmute. Hello, Paul and Judy and company. This is Larry Johnson in Texas. And How are you? I, uh, mm -hmm. I want to I relate back to uh, uh, Paul first bringing up the point about the uh, decline in teaching of, uh, of, of seniors who lose their vision. And, uh, and then there was also a mention of the fact that uh, uh, Braille isn't promoted that much for young people anymore. So mm -hmm. we really are facing a, a crisis when it comes to um, the use of Braille. One of the mm -hmm. comments I would offer is this, that perhaps the wrong things are being promoted in terms of why should a student learn Braille? Or what should a senior be taught in terms of Braille? Most seniors that I've talked to, they have no, I, no wish whatsoever to read a novel in Braille or even a magazine for that matter. But when they find out that, yes, Braille can be helpful to them in uh, playing cards or labeling medications, suddenly they have an interest and they say, oh, well, then that's something I could learn. So maybe, as, and I do believe that BRL has an opportunity and even a responsibility to aggressively promote the importance of Braille to um, these populations and basically to those people responsible for providing the teaching. But re-examine what it is that would be useful for that group of people to learn. I submit that for students, the most important use of Braille would be in note-taking. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, if you have to record in an entire class and then listen to that entire class back in order to remember what was important, that takes up a lot of time. But if they could be persuaded that, hey, if you know Braille, you can take a few crisp notes and then you have the essence of what that class was about. So that would be my suggestion, is that we identify the value of Braille according to those um, ages, the seniors or the students, and that the instructors of Braille focus on teaching those components. Thanks, Larry. It's Mr. Brandon? Very, very good advice, Larry. And I think um, yes. in, in a lot of my advocacy work around Braille and Braille literacy, I have often talked about Braille for the use in independent living because for all the same reasons you talked about that, that it can just help so much. Just even if you only learn the alphabet, mm -hmm. what you can do with alphabet and numbers to increase your independence is pretty amazing. Labeling. Yes. Labeling. Yes. Labeling. Labeling is so important and mm -hmm can eliminate so much frustration in somebody's lives when they can't figure out what the, what the container is and they have to open, you know, two cans and one was kidney beans and one was fruit cocktail, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Yes. So, um, <laughs> and you didn't want kidney beans, you know, now you have to work it into the menu because you opened the can, you know. So it's never happened about, to any of I us. Wrote, I wrote a book about labeling in 2008 and I am this summer in the process of updating it. And I am horrified to find 
how much less available braille labeling products were than they were even 12 years ago. Um, it's getting very, very hard to find this stuff. So that's, people, that's, that's actually very interesting. And, and, and is it indicative of something? It is indicative it is. of something. It's a frightening thought. I was very excited. I, I know we probably don't like to promote one vendor over another, but there was a new entrepreneur that won the um, the the oh. what the prize, the touch of genius. Touch of genius. Yeah. You know, the national press has called can do can doables and doables. Yeah. And um, you know, they might be a little pricey from some people's perspective, but they are high quality. And they are quite cool. I um, I was really excited. I I bought. Um, I, I'm a diet Pepsi fanatic, and so I decided. Well, I'm going to get her her set of diet Pepsi labels because I'm really <laughs> diet on, Pepsi labels. How do they how do they work? And so they came, and they, they, it's funny. They look like. Um, a cuff bracelet that a lady might wear. They're made. They're they're done on three D printers. The braille is is great. It's beautiful braille. It says Diet Pepsi. She's calibrated them perfectly. They they slide and snap right on a can of soda. So you can buy a twelve pack at the store. Come home, put your can doables on all the cans, put them in the fridge, and you know exactly what you've got. It was very clever. Um, but it's one of the first innovations in Braille labeling I've seen in just a long, long time. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I got and the red labels. <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll send me information on them so I can send them out to the list if you would. Absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. be happy to. Excellent. Mr. Brandon. Uh, Deborah, you are allowed to talk. There should be a screen asking you to unmute. Did you call on me? I think so, yes. Deborah. <laughs> I, didn't, there you go. I, didn't, I didn't hear my name, but I noticed that the unmute button was available. Okay. Um, so, um, okay. I'm so tempted to tell a Diet Pepsi story, but I, I won't. Anyway, um, so I had two suggestions I wanted to add to your what can BRL do list, and then I have a, a silly question. So my... I have believed, and maybe it's a fantasy rather than a rational belief, I don't know, but I have this notion that when these e-readers are widely distributed, people who never thought they could read Braille well, if encouraged and maybe coached a bit, will become Braille readers. I know lots of smart people who know a little bit of Braille. They use it to label everything they own. They use it for notes. They use it for files but they, they have discounted their own ability to read well enough to, to read anything. And I think that if e-readers are put in the hands of some of those kinds of folks and other folks like people in BRL develop some materials to help get them, you know, get them going, that we might go a long way toward um, expanding the use of Braille and, and, and Braille literacy. And my other suggestion is kind of connected, and I, I felt supported in a couple of things that Daisy said, and that is that to add to that list of must-haves in Braille hard copy, somebody mentioned children's books, but it almost fell away in the when everybody was adding things to the list. And I think Children's books in Braille are essential because hard copy print books for children aren't going anywhere. 
you know, I think we would all agree with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Your question. And so then where BRL could come in would be, again, finding ways to help kids transition maybe more quickly than we have had to in the past from the hard copy books to the refreshable Braille to kind of do the balancing act. My question is for Kim, just because I'm so curious, what was BR1 and BR2? (laughs) I remember what BR2 is, believe it or not. It's called a book called Mr. Fisherman, um, because BR1 has been out of the collection for a while, and I haven't seen it on the shelf, but I've seen BR2. I'll go look the next time I'm in my office. (laughs) (laughs) And Debbie, I couldn't agree with you more. I've always said that um, that I think that if more people had access to a refreshable Braille display who were early new Braille readers, that they would be much more motivated because one of the hardest things to learn as a Braille reader is tracking from line to line. And I have seen people struggle so hard. Um, and I see it with kids still, which is why teachers often produce materials for them with a skipped line is because they have so much trouble tracking across a line of Braille. So that makes paper Braille a little challenging for new Braille readers, but a single line of Braille, you don't have to worry about tracking. So you focus on reading what's there. And I've seen so many people, you know, they're reading half of one line and half of the other, and they can't figure out what it is and the frustration mounts and they just end up not wanting to do it anymore. So I do believe, and and we found this as a, an outcome um, in 2017, 18, the Perkins library did a, a study on the orbit reader and we had 200 orbit readers we placed with our borrowers and a significant number of them reported back that they felt that their Braille reading ability had increased dramatically, that they were just average or below average readers when they received the Orbit Reader. But by the end of the year, when we were tracking their outcomes, they felt like they had increased their reading speed just significantly and were reading much, much more Braille than they ever had before. So I think there'll be a motivational factor there that it'll be easier and people will get excited. Paul? Yes, Judy. There's 49 people with their hand raised. Oh my I goodness. believe it. Yeah, um, you guys have about, I don't know, six minutes left. Can we, yeah. yeah, well. Like Mr. No Brandon, we're not going to get to all your questions. If you oh guys want to put send me an email, that would be we, nice. We, we're, we're going till 3 o'clock, not 2.45, right? No, we're, we're going, going to 2.45 and then the next session. Yes. Yeah. The next session is here. So actually, we could continue for a while longer than that, I think, Brandon, if we chose. Um, are, um, do you have to give a CEU code for this session or is it? Yes, I have to give a CEU code for the end at the end. As but well. is it is it at 415 at the end of both sessions or is it at the end of this one? It's at the end of this one, 245. And then Very the good. The other session. Yeah. Very good. All right. And I just have to leave at exactly 2.45. Just Very good. Okay, Daisy, thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's get a question, Mr. Brandon. Okay. Andrea, you are um, allowed to talk. There should be a screen asking you to unmute. Or not. Did I not hit the right thing? Let's go on to the next one. Yeah. Okay. Becky, there should be a screen asking you to unmute because you are allowed to talk. Hi, this is Becky. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, my question is, um, when Kim was talking about 
um, programs to uh, learn and uh, progress in Braille. What programs other than Hadley are out there? Um, I'm one of those people that um, growing up, I I could see enough to basically get a driver's license. So I had a driver's license. My parents were both blind. My dad read Braille books up the yin yang. And it was mm-hmm. great just seeing him run through those pages. And I always thought as a kid, I'd like to learn to do that. But as a kid who has time, um, now that I'm at a, an adult working, I don't have as much time, but I want to learn to Braille because I need to, because I am losing my vision um, and know that that's going to be something I need to do. But then looking yep, into the future, um, I'd like to be one of those people that help with the getting books ready or, or I don't know what the process is, but, you know, kind of move into that world. So um, what direction should I go? Um, Judy, do you want to talk about in, instructional materials? Not particularly. Well, um, I mean, in, in, in apart from Hadley, a different local libraries have courses and activities and things for people learning Braille. But, um, you know, the Library of Congress has the transcribing course, but I don't think that's what you're asking about. No. So there, there, one of the things that we might, that Braille might suggest to NLS is, is that they think about acquiring a couple more instructional books, um, but there, there's not a lot out there. Kim, do you have a comment on that? Well, uh, you're absolutely right. There, there should be more, um, and there really isn't, um, especially, you know, good, solid instructional material to teach older adults, I think, is... Self-instruction is very difficult with Braille. It is. You really need that feedback of another person. Yeah. Well, you're right about that. You're right about that, Judy. But if you think about it, 20 or 30 years ago, there were bunches of hard copy Braille books of instruction that were out there. And and they seem to have disappeared. A lot of Um, them were just practice books, though. And we yeah. still have like the the what's called the Illinois series. We right. have that. Mm-hmm. That's we can borrow that. Yeah, there's, there's yeah. a handful. That's practice. That's there, not then, learning. But and then but another, I think you mentioned Judy something about you know what wouldn't it be great if the refreshable Braille devices that NLS is going to distribute might have some kind of a tutorial in them or that someone would develop a tutorial that could be loaded so that they could be responsive, or even the vendors of note-takers could develop something that could could be on a note-taker. It just, it seems like there's some possibilities. We just have to think about how to, how to pursue it, I guess. And, and it is certainly a project that would have to have some funding behind it, but I think right. there's a tremendous need for it. Okay, and then how do you join the Braille Revival League? Um, the, the, the simplest uh, way to do it is to send an email to treasurer at Braille Revival League, all spelled out, um, dot org. All right, let's take another question. For Braille Revival League? Sorry? You have dues for the Braille Revival League? We, we, we do have dues. It's, um, it's $10 a year. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there's a life membership available for I think it's $250 or less. Yes. I can't remember. I think so. Or less. Uh, Mr. Brandon. 
Um, Andrea, you are, um, there should be a screen asking you to. Okay. I, I was in the wrong window. I'm so there sorry. We go. It's okay. Okay. Um, couple of comments. Um, I am of an age uh-huh. where I learned Braille in school. Um, I won't say what age that is, but, uh, older than Daisy. Um, <laughs> and I have, I, and Daisy, I congratulate you because I took a UEB course a couple of years ago, mostly for my own edification. I had some ideas about maybe, uh, taking the exam to get certified, but I mainly took it just so that I could learn. And I, it's 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 a lot of work for somebody who's read Braille. Miss uh, Andrea, we're running out of time. Okay. Get to your question. Um, um, my comment is for people who don't use refreshable Braille displays. I've used them for 25 years. I love hard copy Braille, but refreshable Braille is much easier to take with you to the doctor or wherever you're going. Um, and it's just, and the, and the quality is wonderful. And I'm thrilled that NLS is going to do refreshable Braille. I have books from when I was a child that I still own from the American Printing House that are those hardcover, big, heavy books that have held up very well. Um, but refreshable Braille is terrific. So the people that, and I've used it in choirs, I've used it all kinds of places. So those of you who say, you know, I need Braille music in, on paper, you don't necessarily need it on paper. It works very well. Thank you, Andrea. Uh, another question, Mr. Brandon? Uh, okay. Or do you want me to give the ending CEU code? Because we're at time right now. You can. Okay. The ending CEU code for this session is B2697. So beta2697. Or even Bravo. Or Bravo. <laughs> All right. Let's do another question. Okay. Area code 314, you are allowed to unmute. Okay, you- can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. We can. Okay, great. Um, this is Donna Siren, and um, this is a comment and a question regarding Braille transcribing. When I Make lived in New Orleans, there... I'm sorry, what? Quick. Make it quick. All right. Um, there was a lady that could transcribe things and... Um, she would replace pictures with a visual description of whatever it was she was transcribing for, which made it easier, like manuals and stuff. And what I'd like to know, are there places that would do this sort of thing and make it, make it all available in a BRF file? Which, which, which of between Judy and Kim want to handle that? There certainly are transcribers around. Don't all rush. Um, so there is, um, there is, uh, there are a lot of local groups, Donna, um, and I'm sure there's one in St. Louis um, that that does Braille transcribing. Um, uh, you might. Yeah, Sorry, you I was might telling you all about it, and I was muted. Oh, go, go ahead, Judy. <laughs> so there are definitely transcribing groups that can do that for you. NLS has a directory on its website. It's called custom produce braille blah, 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 something or other anyway it's been it's been relatively recently updated and uh, if you go to our website and go into the reference section and go into directories you'll find it excellent thank you um brandon another question uh, oh welcome it Brian. looks like we're, there's we're our... doing the earlier session so we'll get to you soon um go ahead brandon yeah area code 360 you are allowed to talk Go to the next. I think you're unmuted. She sounds like... Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Or not. Oh. He said, 
Good donk. Interesting sound. Okay, allowed to talk? Area code 306? 306. 360. Oh, 360. Okay. We're getting a funny noise, but not a voice. That's, that's funny noise is me. It, oh, that's you. Okay. When, you have the, when you have the Zoom scripts installed, it makes that noise when somebody's hand is raised. Oh. Interesting. Random, let's do someone else. Penny, you are allowed to talk. There should be a screen asking you to unmute. Hi, this is Penny. Hello. Uh, hey, Penny. Let me turn off my um, voiceover so I can hear myself. I'm sorry. Um, I um, I learned Braille uh, 20 years ago, and um, I'm amazed to find that I'm so old now. And 20 years ago really wasn't that long ago. Um, I uh, find that it's very difficult to read books in refreshable Braille. I like my Martha Stewart magazine, and I take notes pretty quickly and can read my notes very quickly on my Braille note. But I there's there are these codes in the books, like at the beginning of the line, that just slow me down. And I'm wondering, at Ju- um, Judy, is, is your Braille flow going to get rid of those codes that indicate that there's a new line? Or is there just something I can do to make my reading of books more quick? Are you talking um, about on electronic or paper Braille? I'm talking about refreshable Braille, not paper. There, Braille. there are no codes at the beginnings of lines in our books. Um, if you're if you're seeing those, they've been added by the Braille display, and there should be a setting that you can do to get rid of them. Are you, oh. I assume you're talking about dollar L or dollar. Yeah, that or, kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you, should, I, you should be able to turn that off. You, oh, yeah, right. absolutely. So I should just call Humanware. Okay, yes, I would do exactly. That. Yep. Uh, so thank you very you. much. I uh, really you're, appreciate and. Uh, I haven't been a member of BRL for a while because I always had to do other stuff, but I'm back. So thank you. Oh, good. Excellent. We're glad to have you. Mr. Brandon, let's do two more questions or maybe three, and then we're going to wind this down. Okay. Uh, Cache, you are allowed to talk. There should be a screen asking you to mute. Hi, this is Cache from Florida. And my question is, as a um, nearing 50-year-old woman who recently lost her vision, I've tried the Hadley three times, but because I um, worked in triage, my fingertips, there's no sensitivity. So what suggestions would you have for a person like me losing their vision that needs to or has a desire to learn Braille? What part of Florida do you live in? Jacksonville. 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 Well, I would su- su- have you, I, it used to be called iLab, but there is a, a local uh, service delivery outfit up in Jacksonville. And I'd suggest that you go over there and take, see if they can show you what jumbo braille looks like and see whether that makes a difference. And if it does make a difference, then I would suggest you seriously consider, um, getting an orbit reader because the braille on the orbit reader, it seems to me, and I'll let Kim and Judy comment as well. And Daisy, if she's still here, um, mm-hmm. But the, the Braille on the Orbit Reader, it seems to me, um, uh, is is much firmer and much more like Jumbo Braille in terms of reading. Okay. I, do, I, like, I have been to the iLife here, and I don't think they offer any. Um, they refer you to Hadley, which is where I went to um, take the three attempts. Sure. And, and the instructor said that it because I did triage, I probably won't be able. Um, yeah. No, I get I get all of that, but I want them to show you jumbo braille. Just it, ask oh, okay. them if they can show you jumbo braille. That's where you're going. Um, <laughs> then, because then, I, I, I want to see if you're able to read that or not. Yeah. Oh, okay. 
Jumbo Braille is certainly an option, and there are Braillers, Perkins Braillers that produce large cell or Jumbo Braille. Um, sometimes changing the surface of what you're brailing on might, you know, maybe you don't do well touching Braille on paper, but there are some plastics that you can Braille on that make the dots stand out more. They're, they're more distinguishable. And I do think Paul has a good idea about looking at Braille on a refreshable Braille display because the dots generally on most Braille displays are pretty firm and distinct. And I think he's right about the Orbit Reader. Their dots are quite firm. And if you have any tactile sensitivity, that would be a good place to test it to see if you can feel the dots and recognize the characters in Braille on the display of an Orbit Reader. They've taken calling it signage yep. quality braille which means yes. you can't push it down it, it's completely firm you absolutely can't yes. they don't move it they're right. not they have no spring to them at all and and the, the place i'm sending you to may actually have an orbit reader you can try too um let's take one more question mr brendan one more question mr brendan <laughs> you might have lost i literally just oh, made our new host the host so yes that's right another session okay can you guys hear me yes Yes. all right sorry i didn't realize i was muted um all right so i'm taking over for brandon brandon go to your next appointment hon (laughs) well it's literally this way so thank you so much brandon i appreciate it it. oh it is okay then i'm taking over sorry all right so So let's take one more question if we can miss um Linda. And Paul, Judy and I have to go to another engagement. So you, yep. need to, you need to unmute. Oh, you are unmuted, Linda. Go ahead. Hi, this is Linda Yaks. That's so, so excited to listen to some of my favorite, very favorite people. I haven't talked to Kim and Judy forever. Hi, quick, Linda. Quick, quick, I haven't talked to Okay, quickly. I'm sorry. I just wanted to say quickly that um, boy, nothing gets my ire up more than hearing somebody say that we don't have to teach Braille. And I've really appreciated the ACB's little spot from the Florida Lighthouse this week with Jose Feliciano, who says that listening is not literacy. <laughs> I had more yeah, comments, but I'll stop. Thank you. Okay. Very good. Let me thank let me thank Judy and Daisy and Kim uh, for being excellent panelists. We really appreciate your participation. I think this was a good session, and 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 I hope we can that in BRL can build on this. Thank you, you thank, guys. Thank you, Paul and thank Brian. You. Sorry to run off, but uh, we have to present at another. I have another presentation to make, so we're going to. Brandon needs to well. give the final code. He already did. did. Oh, he, he did. did. Okay, good. Yes. Okay, sorry. Yes. Yep. Not going to happen twice in a row, dear one. Now, are, do we have a CEU code for the second yes, session? Yes, we do. Mm-hmm. Very good. Thank you. So Brandon, our, I'm sorry. I was getting worried about you. It's okay. Our, <laughs> Do you need me to sign out of this account? No, you can Cindy? stay on as a, you can stay on still. Okay. I didn't know if it, I it doesn't to matter. Sign out or something. Okay. No. So, so our new, our new person who's handling hand raising is Cindy Hollis and welcome Miss Cindy. We're so glad to have you. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to get to be here. I was listening in on ACB radio and working on my community event schedule, trying to get stuff done. You should have gotten two community things I from did, me. I did indeed. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yep. So we've got, we've got Tuesday topics and library without walls coming up next week. Yes. Guys. Tuesday topics, you get to rant about the convention and then library without walls. If you come, we're going to talk about pandemic books. So 
that will be excellent. Mr. Brian, if you want to unmute, you can talk for a second. Hello, can you hear me okay? We can. That's what I wanted to check. So our hand raiser is Cindy Hollis. I don't know who's streaming for us. Somebody out of the national office It was at, did it earlier, but we're here until 4.15. It's we'll still Washington until, office. Oh, excellent. We'll wait until um, 3 o'clock to get started, Mr. Brian, but thank you so much for being here. No problem at all. This is exciting. <laughs> Ms. Cindy, what time is your community call tonight? Um, we do one at 10 o'clock tonight after convention. We're calling it a convention nightcap. I, I never seem to find those codes. So, Well, it's because they are just being shared on the community events email list, which I, I send out a morning email. Oh. But you may not be on that. And if you would like to, I will subscribe you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Subscribe me if you would. I would love to do that. And I'll turn up tonight. That'd be awesome. I'll actually just send that code to you so you have it. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. It's now 2.58 and a half according to my watch. So. <laughs> I'm going to, should I empty the, um, should I lower everybody's hands that are raised so we start over from, because this yeah, can be I think, Yes, please. Yes. Easier. Let me apologize. We had... We had there something was a lot. like 90 we, folks or 95 folks here. Yeah, and you had 18 um, more raised hands. So there was a lot of yeah. people wanting, but, you know. Yeah. So we, we didn't get to, to your questions, and we're very sorry. But we stretched it as far as we could. And I'm going to go by my watch, especially since we're continuing to stream. And so we're going to get started in just a second, Mr. Brian. I have 12 seconds before three o'clock. <laughs> Thank you. Then I'll, I'll go by your clock. <laughs> three, two, one. This is Paul Edwards and welcome to the second session of the Braille Revival League program for this afternoon. And before I forget and get in trouble, I'm going to recognize Cindy Hollis to give the beginning CEU code, if she would. I would love to. It is 8E, as in um, Edward, one. Eggplant. Oh, thank you. Oh, you know what? I was looking for a food. Okay, let me start over. Mm. Eight. E is an eggplant, the number one. B is in bacon. C is in chocolate. See, I had the BC okay. I just, it was the yeah. others. Okay. So, again... I Eight, E is an eggplant. One, B is in bacon. C is in chocolate. Thanks, Thank Paul. you. It gives me great pleasure to welcome to the Braille Rival League, Brian McDonald, who's the executive director uh, at the National Braille Press. And I'm going to start, Brian, by asking you uh, a, a, a somewhat difficult question, perhaps, um, but you've only been at the National Braille Press for a relatively short time. So tell us a little about what you did before you came to the National Braille Press and how that prepared you to be there. Ah. Well, uh, let me just give you my background quickly. I, I was never in, involved in the, the, this community for, for Braille or for blindness or low vision uh, prior to starting here in 2008. So I've been here 12 years, so it's not brand new. Yeah, you're right. But, but my, my prior career, my, my 
training, I was a biology undergraduate major. I went to graduate school for bioenvironmental oceanography. And then I um, worked um, at the New England Aquarium in Boston for many years. Um, and I uh, was the senior director there and did a lot of environmental education, started the Whale Watch program, ran all the operations. And I, then I worked at Audubon and um, did a lot of, again, not just bird, but environmental work and land protection. And I was actually at Audubon when a headhunter called me about the opportunity to work at National Braille Press. And um, I, I was intrigued. My grandmother was blind and I had a connection that way, but um, she had passed away many, many years before that. And um, so I went through the gauntlet. I went two months of dealing with this national search firm in New York City. And then finally, I'm going to get a chance to interview and meet meet the search committee and trustees. And that's how I ended up being here. But how I <laughs> to be prepared for it, I'd had a lot of experience in consulting um, and non nonprofits, but not in this field particularly, to be honest. Oh, well, that's excellent. So tell us... Um Tell us what uh, what you you sought to accomplish in the twelve years that you've been at the National Braille Press. Then, well, the, when I first got here, I mean, we, we've been around for you know fairly long time. We were founded in nineteen twenty seven, and obviously, I had done a lot of homework before I ever got here, um, especially for the search committee interviews. And one of the things that um, really stuck out to me the most when I first got here was the cost of refreshable braille products. Um, I think back then. It was like six to ten thousand dollars, you know. Some of yep. them, and um, I was just saying this is pathetically high and unfair. And so, uh, I first had to just kind of reorganize uh, our company. Um, we had to do, make some adjustments, and I had to do some work there to make us a little more on solid ground, to be honest. But once that was kind of in place, the first thing I did was um, do some research and call Dean Blazy who many of you probably know. Um, and I explained I was a new guy on the block at NBP. And, um, you know, he was certainly so well known for what he's done for refreshable Braille technology, having the, at that point, the largest accessible technology company in the world when, before he sold it. And as a dean, you know, you've done great things for the blindness community, but you also know they're really expensive. <laughs> and I just said, I'd like to try and help with that. Could you, would you help me? And, and so he flew up spent the day in Boston with me and, and he said, I'm in. Uh, he had an eight year no compete originally that had ended a month before that. And so he became, now he's a very good friend of mine and, uh, you know, 12 years fast forward, but we recruited 25 people to create a center for Braille innovation, which was a virtual place pretty much. And we started looking at goals, like what can we do to reduce the cost of this and make better products and uh, make them affordable for families, parents, schools, everyone. So that's, that's kind of how I got into it there. Excellent. So let, let's, let's not, let's not stay in the past. What, what are, <laughs> what are the current, what are the current kind of projects that, that uh, National Rail Press is involved with? Well, we're, we're doing a lot of things right now. We're, we're in a very interesting phase. Um, we, for those that may not be familiar with all the areas we do, um, certainly we have our publications. We do a lot of books, and I can talk about that later. But um, we also are doing um, a lot of educational work, standardized assessments and tests, textbooks. That we, We've grown that market significantly uh, in the 12 years I've been here. 
So we're actually ex expanding right now. Part of our strategic direction is to um, expand and, and growth. And we're, we're, we took a warehouse floor we had and we should be done with it hopefully next week where we've built another education production center on that floor. And uh, so we can do more. We just need literally more room for staff and for more equipment to get more out the door. So that's one project that's been taking the last eight months of my life uh, pretty busy to get that completed. Um, but we're also looking at, um, from a broader perspective, again, another strategic initiative of ours. Um, it's not just Braille literacy, which I, I was listening at the end of the last group with Judy Dixon and, and others, but um, we also care about tactile graphics a lot and graphical literacy, too. So we're, we're actually working with... Um, San Francisco Lighthouse, the Mad Lab, um, University of Alabama, Huntsville. And we're actually, and this is kind of like breaking news, sort of, but we're working on creating a consortium right now to, that can work on um, helping with the curriculum and development and standards for graphical literacy, graphicacy, as some people call it, but, but also so to support the teachers and the TVIs on how to create these products um, and and also how to teach them to children to learn it. Um, and it's it's a really important area that um, has had a lot of, uh, needs a lot of support, let's put it that way. I mean, it's even true with TVIs that we work with and, and know that, you know, some are just thrown into the fire and they, they might not have much equipment or support and they have to figure out ways to, to make stuff on the fly for students. And so we're trying to really think of ways to support all of that area. One of the things that the National Braille Press has done is to have taken over uh, a lot of maps that were available from elsewhere, and, and you now make those available. Is that right? That's true. It, uh, it was originally, it still is. We honor it as the Princeton Brailleist collection, and um, it, it is, uh, um, they're beautiful. They're, they're, for those that are not familiar with them, um, they are created on uh, aluminum master plates, and everyone was hand carved out to, to make the embossing feel to them with uh, amazing detail. And, and, and Braille um, is on them as well, of course, with all the legends and everything. But, but we were honored, uh, gee, it must be like three years ago now, when we were chosen to preserve the collection, keep the collection, and mass produce them again. So we've done that, and we're, we're selling quite a few of them. And we have we eventually want to expand it, because not all of the states in the United States were done. There are a lot of international maps that were done as well for certain regions. Um, but we certainly want to um, continue that legacy and, and do more in the future. Is there is there any way that the cost of those can come down? Well... <laughs> We try, and as people may know, we, we try to sell our books at the same price as any print book as well, and we do that through fundraising and, and um, doing everything we can to, to do that. But those are, those are very hard to do at the price they did uh, originally. Um, right. Um, and, and we've tried to keep it as low as we could, but they're still not, not horrible because some of those are really extensive to mass produce uh, and yes. they're large. They're not, they're not, you know, it's not always a little one volume thing. Sometimes it is, but it depends on the subject and, and the location. There's yep. a lot of fold outs. For those that aren't familiar with them, some of them have, they're thermoformed and um, some, some of them have, um, you know, extensive pages that fold out from, from the inside of the bindery. So it, it's, um, they're quite detailed. They're quite amazing. They are. 
Are there other projects that you're engaged in that you want to talk about? Well, um, uh, through our Center for Braille Innovation, we, we continue to work on trying to find affordable solutions for, for Braille or um, graphic and tactile literacy. So for many years, we've been working with uh, organ, you know, different research or now maybe they were universities originally, but then they branch out to make a profit company or, uh, of their own. But we are still working closely with a number of entities to make a um, full-page graphic, Braille and graphic tablet for the blind, to put it in simple terms. Um, back, back in the days with uh, Dean Blasey and Noel Runyon in our early Center for Braille Innovation days, we joked about making a more affordable, refreshable Braille cell, you know, I mean, 20-cell display, let's say. And, but we also talked about the search for the Holy Braille, which in those days was just a full-page, refreshable Braille display. But since we are in the test and textbook world, we um, we actually made one in 2012 that was five rows of Braille, 25 cells across, and then mm -hmm. the rest of it was a graphic array above it. And we did it as a test pilot. Um, but I realized that we needed a graphic output too, especially for digital textbooks and tests as the world keeps changing, so that if a student was taking a dynamic test that questions changed based on how, how they answered it, that they would be able to have a real image or, or a question pop up instantly the way a sighted child would have that happen. And so that's something that I really care about a lot and hope to solve before I ever retire. And I, I think there's three promising methods right now that we are working with um, to hopefully bring that to, to a resolution. So that's a big project too. It is a big project. Well, I guess we should talk about what people will know about the most and that is uh, the fact that National Braille Press produces a pretty broad array of Braille books, and you're probably one of the one of the companies that is doing the most um, to to make uh, both refreshable Braille files and uh, and and paper Braille files available to blind folks currently and on current subjects. So, talk to us a little about those. Well, we're, yes, thank you. We're, we're very proud of it. I think I might be wrong, but I think we're the only publisher of Braille materials um, that are original materials written by blind authors, um, I, I think, in America. And I know RNIB might have done it at one point, but there aren't many. And so we're pretty proud. Correct. Yep. Yeah, so we're pretty proud of that. And our publications department does an amazing job. I mean, this past year, they had 45, I'm sorry, 48 new products, I think it was. We, we still have our Children's Braille Book Club, which is, you know, a monthly children's book every, every month that we come out with. And that's been a legacy we've had for, God, it must be 35 years by now with the print and Braille books uh, that we developed. But we did eight technology books in the last year. We did um, three lifestyle books, three board books, and a bunch of, um, like, a dozen or so boutique products. And we're always trying to, you know, we have the Read Books Bag program where we give out um, book bags to families and TVIs of uh, children that are losing the vision or blind uh, to introduce them to Braille and tactile graphics. And um, during the the whole COVID thing that um, Massachusetts was pretty bad, you know, a couple months ago. I uh, thank God we're in pretty good shape right now. But yeah, you sent it to me. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good to know. But we did we did give some free downloads too of books that we thought would be really relevant during that period dinner delivered was one of them and getting visual assistance with an iphone and then navigating healthcare when all they can see is that you can't those those were all i thought useful books and 
I can tell you uh, we've had over 2,000 free downloads of these since we started, and we're going to continue it still these same books through August 31st. So we were happy to help with that, and we got some nice comments from people on that. But right now we are launching a bunch of new books that we just in the last two weeks have um, you might some of you your listeners may have um, got them directly from us as well. But I have to plug one of them because Judy was just on. Um, we have her, her new book that she just did, Capturing and Sharing the World, which is the highly anticipated update to her classic Get the Picture about um, all the ways that your iPhone camera can be used to capture and share, you know, everything around you. So that that recently just launched uh, just uh, within the last week or so. So we're happy about that. Um, and, we, we, and we did launch a, a little while, maybe a month ago, um, a collection of um, women's fashion articles that we do through our, we have a magazine called Our Special, which is kind of like, a ladies' home journal, almost, and uh, we just did, we just had one that was written by Susie Stageberg on Susie on Style, look and feel your best, and it's you know uh, t- taking this whole compendium of articles about style and dress and all the good personal style stuff that um, you know goes on. So um, another thing I think that we really love to do is um, not just, not just, uh, you know, great books, but also jewelry. And, you know, the, we do a lot of magnets with slogans, but we have some new jewelry coming out right now too, that is uh, really beautiful. I, I, I've seen it and it's all handmade. And so everyone's a little bit unique. We have these um, braille necklaces that are just coming out now that are um, they're porcelain, white porcelain. Um, and the braille on it is uh, the dots are plated with white gold. And it's an 18-inch necklace that that's, uh, has it's nickel-free um, brass base, but it's got an 18-karat gold um, plate on it. And they're just really different and beautiful. And uh, and we we love to have things unique come out like that. So, just letting your people know because we're not there to show people this year, as we all know. Um, but uh, we really think they're uh, quite unique. So we're doing a lot with our publications department. This past June. We we had the most amazing month they've ever had. We doubled the sales projection of what we had budgeted for the month. And it was like, what the heck's going on? It was quite amazing. So they're doing a great job with the books they pick, the authors they choose for a certain subject matter. And um, similarly, in, in different types of products, like I just described, that um, I think are really fun. So earlier, we talked a little bit about your Center for Braille Innovation. And, and I know that at one point you actually offered a Braille product for sale, but I think yes. that that one is, is now gone. The B2G, yes? Yes. Well, yeah, thank you. So, as I said, when I first talked to Dean, that was my concern, the cost of these devices. And, and so we, Dean, uh, Noel Runyon, many of you may know as well, um, were the first two that um, got together with me to help create the, the team. And the B2G was born out of the Center for Braille Innovation. It is our product. We literally made it from scratch, including the keyboard. Everything was, in fact, Noel Runyon designed the ergonomics of the keyboard, and it's beautiful. It's a, uh, Many people have said it's the best keyboard they've ever seen on a Braille display. But you're right. We, we launched it. It took many years to develop it and also for us to raise money to, to produce it. We did do a production run, and we sold every one of them. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm very happy about that. In fact, I'm, <laughs> I have someone who sent me one today where they um, actually had a little dropping accident and um, we still maintain oh, yeah. them and prepare them and, and service them. But, but we sold that for $2,495 as a 20 cell display. And 
And that would put a big pressure on the market back in 2016 when we launched it. Um, and since then, um, we have a Touch of Genius Prize, which I can talk about later. But we one of the winners of that was the Braille Me, which is another low cost, similar to the Orbit Reader, uh, you know, 20 cell Braille display that we are the distributor for that in North America. We, I, I helped them bring it to market when they first showed it to me. Um, Geez, many years ago now. Uh, the first one they ever showed me, just to give you your audience a feel for the detail of it, they they made it with a 3D printer. Um, even the pins, the Braille pins were made on a 3D printer. Wow. And, and they showed it to me and the darn thing worked. I was like blown away that uh, fully the case, the, the buttons, the pins, all were made on a 3D printer and the darn thing worked. So... Um, they won our Touch of Genius Prize. Uh, I helped them, you know, to support them to bring it to market. And so we are distributing. We Now, we, I have 20 units coming now that were in Hong Kong yesterday because India had been shut down for over 100 days with COVID over there was very, very bad. Um, but we are we are getting units on route to us now. And um, I'm happy to say they're back in production. So it was, a you know, like, like many organizations, um, Everyone came to a lot of grinding halts in the last few months, but but so we are selling that, and that was part of the um, process of our Center for Braille Innovation as well, because uh, the Touch of Genius Prize is part of our CBI, and 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 it's about six hundred bucks somewhere in there. Um, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's right around that range. We 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 add a shipping and handling fee depending on where people are in right. the country or in North America and all that, but. Um, yeah, but it's it's actually a little less than that, I, I think. God, I should know that. <laughs> Brain dead today. I should know that without blinking. But but it is um, it's in the it's, price range. Yeah. Yeah, but I think if 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 we say around six hundred dollars, people won't be shocked if it's six fifty or five fifty. So yeah, I, th- I think it's more in the yeah. lower end to be honest. But uh, but that's yeah. okay. Yeah. Very good. So, are there other things you'd like to talk about before we open it up to questions here? Well, I think I I just like to reference that um, another strategic. We you know we're, we focus on you know we're not a service industry that teaches Braille and things like that. We always I always kind of say we help to provide the tools and materials to support Braille or tact- tactile graphics, um, and we and we do continue to focus that way. But we are looking strategically at uh, at doing other things. So I just kind of reference it briefly. I think this. Tactile Graphics Consortium is an example that I, I just men- mentioned that I think is important. But another area that we care about is we are looking to expand more into. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> that was a B to G charging that I, I pre- prepared for that woman. <laughs> <laughs> sorry for that beep, everybody. But but um, um, we are looking at expanding more internationally too. We we do sell our products in about 20 countries now. But um, I've helped work uh, with uh, a school. Uh, for the blind in China with the B2G, you know, could back translate between Mandarin and English because they were learning both. And mm-hmm. uh, we're looking at expanding those areas. But the, the other area that I really care about, and it reminds me of one of the questions I heard in the last session was, um, we want to help older um, adults that are losing their vision uh, due to age-related eye diseases. And um, just like we have a read books bag for children to get, acquainted with Braille and graphics and so forth and why Braille is important. We also want to have a kind of a, a bag for adults that um, 
supports them with with items that are this is not developed yet, but this is just kind of my thoughts to it. But ideas about supporting them with what kind of apps on phones can be helpful and, and what kind of uh, materials can be helpful around their home and 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 actually creating um, a jumbo braille labeling even for them to get used to uh, learning a little bit about functional braille even for them to be supportive. And um, so we're, we're looking at expanding in that area too, because we think it's um, it needs a little more support in areas like that. So that's that's up and coming. It's, a, it's an idea, not a product yet, but we're certainly doing talking to a lot of people about it. And if anyone in the audience wants to help with that, they can reach out to us as well. It'd be great. So why don't you go ahead and, and give contact information to NB, uh, for NBP before we open it up so that people will know how they can actually contact you guys? That'd be great. So our website is very simple. It's just nbp.org. Um, and if, and we have a relatively new website, so there's a lot of um, – I think it's really navigable and um, people seem to like it a lot. Um, my, I'll give you my, um, my email, uh, which is – you can do bmacdonald um, – B-M-A-C-D-O-N-A-L-D, like the firm, at nbp.org. Or you can do pres or president at nbp.org. They all come to me. Um, and, and that's pretty much all you need, I think, for that. Yeah, pres is the best. <laughs> it's short for a business card. <laughs> it is. So our, our hand person is... Uh, Cindy Hollis, and she's the best yep. hand person in town. So, Miss Cindy, <laughs> who paid you to say that? Nobody. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. We've got lots of hands. All right, DJ, you can unmute. Okay, can you hear me? Yes, we, we can. can. Okay, let me turn off my speech. Okay, um, continuing the same thread of the idea of reaching the older population in Braille and using refreshable Braille displays and such. There's a large number of baby baby boomers who were born uh, premature and were congenitally blind. Um, now, I'm not going to get real tight on the on the blindness definition, but many of those kids came up through sight-saving classes. They may or may not have been introduced to Braille. Um, and those same people now that they're, they're entering their older years, like myself, all of a sudden start realizing, and I'm a JAWS user, I taught all that stuff, and, and, and I go, what do you say? What he, huh? And there's cer certain nuances that I'm missing. So I got to go back and use my Braille. Not that I haven't, but go back and use it even more than I used to. Um, also, uh, people, there's the problem with neuropathy in that and maybe diabetics. I'm, I just got the... Um, continuous glucose monitoring because I don't want any more neuropathy. I want to be able to have a keep a source of communication. So what do you think? Do you think that's a good group to tap is my question. Yeah. And we, did, um, we have, you. I'm sorry, DJ, thank you. No, go ahead. We have, um, we have talked about that. When I said older, heck, I'm I'm older. I mean, <laughs> you know, a lot, many of us are. But but I meant um, 
it's, it doesn't have to be limited to, you know, just age related only. It could be any age. And, and we have talked about that and we're including the, all those markets. Um, and I, I, I certainly understand the neuropathy issue. Um, someone earlier was asking about, about that for themselves on the last uh, session. And um, I know the Orbit Reader came up and, and, and Judy brought that up and, uh, you know, and that's very true and it, and it does help. And, and um, the Braille. Well, and actually bit, the, the Braille me has a, has a pretty good, has a yeah. pretty good display as well. That's, that's um, what I was going to say. It's different in that yeah. it's not like the sign that uh, the Braille me is magnetic right. in a different way that you can, if you push really hard, you can literally push them back down, but they'll pop back up. But they're firm right. enough that I think people that have less sensitivity could use that as well. And it, right. so those, and, are, those and, are important things. Yeah. And the dots are slightly larger, I think, than American dots are. That's true. So that they are more feelable, I think. Yeah, Cindy, a lot of, yeah, oh, go, sorry, ahead. go ahead, Brian. Yeah. No, that's, I agree. I'll stop. Yep. Ralph, it's your turn. All right. Can you hear me? We can. Okay. Uh, first of all, I want to thank National Braille Press for the production of the um, weekly columns by, I think, Cassell edits those. Syndicated weekly reader. Yeah. Yeah. Syndicated columnist weekly, SCW. Yes. Yes. And it's, uh, it's very good. It's very timely. I appreciate that. And also, I wanted to throw a plug in for BRL since we're talking about actual Braille paper and Braille. Don't forget about Games with Ralph for BRL. It's a fundraiser <laughs> that we do. <laughs> it is. We'll, we'll get National Braille Press to start producing our Braille memorandum. Because <laughs> right. uh, Asso Associated Services for the Blind um, just indicated they didn't want to continue doing it. So we may talk to you about uh, becoming our new producer. All right. All right. The phone number ending in 3517. You are unmuted. Hi, this is Mary Beth Metzger from Albany, New York. Um, first off, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, Brian, for continuing to keep Paper Braille alive. It's always been my favorite. Um, but my question actually has to do with your full-page display, um, your, you know, full-page display in whatever. Um, is it going to be, have the ability to uh, write in you know, for instance, not just to read, but also to be able to insert material uh, in within the page. So, what way? The answer is depending on who wins in these in the efforts. Yes, on one of them for sure. Um, the others probably can do it, but they're at different stages of their research to see what can work. Um, so. One one is certainly the output, you know, but but one of one methodology I can tell you a little bit about is some of this I can't tell you all the stuff about it because it's under NDAs. But one method that is being done is from a an outbranch of University of Michigan. It's called New Haptics, and they're working on a methodology that is called microfluidics. So it think of like so all the older people like me will appreciate in the old department stores they had these vacuum tubes would go everywhere and, and take and just like a bank teller today when you're you know trying to deliver it from a car or something. Think of that going to a micro scale of 100 nanometers that it literally drives fluid or air through channels and it actually actuates the braille dot or the graphic dot by doing that. And it's a very thin layer that can do this and it's amazing. It's a technology already made for medical technology testing for blood cells and filtering at, at very small levels. But that thin layer is clear 
and it can be overlaid on a tablet. It can be overlaid on a, a certain types of keyboards and, and so forth so that you could integrate with the hardware that's in existence now, this kind of service to have a relay uh, that's in real time. So it could populate what you type and, and, and read it as an insertion on a document or anything else. So the answer is yes, but also from what I love about that approach is that clear service surface also will allow for those with low vision to have colors and contrast come through. So it's very intriguing, true tablet method that we're exploring. Now, there's an outfit in England that's actually <laughs> produced a full Braille display, is there not? Well, there's, um, a, f- there's a few that have been, come out. Um, the, 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 the challenge about Braille displays, and I don't want to get into the weeds too much, is one, they're very expensive still. I mean, sure. Um, the, the first one that a few years ago was from Metech in Germany, which make beautiful, refreshable Braille. They came out with Hyper Braille years ago, and, and it was taking a, the old piezoelectric method that most displays used and turning it vertically. And they could make really good Braille out of that in graphics, but it was 45,000 euros for the, for the display. So, like, you know, hello, nothing went there. And, um, but when you talk about what we want to achieve in it, from my point of view, I'm, I'm really getting picky that I want different heights. You know, I don't just want one height for a graph output. We want variable heights. We want color contrast if possible. And we want to be able to have it so that you can type Braille on that same out, out page, you know, as, and well as having a good resolution for tactile graphics. It's no good yeah. to have a big, bad resolution, and, and it's just a kind of a blurry mess. You know, you need to have pretty good resolution. And, of course, Orbit Research has, is, is now putting the graffiti into production, which is sort of like that. Yeah, and I I, I, I know Venkatesh very well, um, and I've played with it quite a bit, the graffiti, and I think he's done an amazing job with it. It has, you know, it has zoom capability, and you can draw with your finger on it, and, and I think it has a lot of great features. I, I agree. Um, so I, I'm not saying it is, there isn't anything out there, but I'm looking for something at a, a high level that in a workplace you could use it, as well as, you know, mm-hmm. for students in STEM and things like that, you know? Yep. Excellent. Miss Cindy? Ready? Yep. Yep. Uh, ending in 12.09, you are unmuted. Hi. Hi. Good afternoon. This, this is Joe Sorensen here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Just a simple question. Very soon, the book Exciting Life of Joe Sorensen will be reprinted in Rushmore Press. And the question is, I would love to have National Braille Press publish it in Braille. So when that step comes, we can uh, contact or whatever. And uh... yeah, so uh, we we get these requests, you know, a few times a year from authors like yourself. And congratulations, I I I'm, congratulate you on on getting your book published. Um, the biggest challenge we have uh, on it is economies of scale, as you can imagine. Uh, and we have done them. I I, I don't want to make you say we never do that. We do, but uh, you know, if you're doing 50 units versus 100 or 500, the, you know, the cost to transcribe it and produce it the way we like to produce things is expensive. So sometimes a lot of authors just, you know, don't, don't want to do that. Uh, the only way that, um, I mean, we do books for the Library of Congress too, as, you know, Judy was on before this, Judy Dixon, but um, we don't get to pick what, we're, we're contractors for that. So, you know, sometimes books are chosen by them and we just deliver them and produce them. But um, we have done private books that are self-published, um, but, it, you know, we'll do everything we can, but we, we can't 
it's more expensive than most people want to want to do in some cases. I hate to tell you that, but that's that's the reality of it. So you, you've raised the issue of the cost of transcription and the and and the cost of proofreading and so on. Uh, one of the things that National Braille Press became famous for a few years ago was the use of Jiffy Braille. Are you still doing that? We do use Jiffy Braille on some things. SCW is Jiffy Braille, the weekly right. SCW columnist. Yep. Yeah. Um, but obviously for, you know, our, a lot of our products, we, we can't do that, you know, and, and, you know, we do that be, because it's, it's more accepted as, you know, <laughs> my God, half of the newspapers and books today have horrible proofreading on top of it. But, um, you know, we're kind of braille snobs, to be honest. So we don't do it for many things, but we do we do do it for a few things. Yes. Excellent. Cindy? Yep. Larry, I, I want to ask a question in regard to the braille me. Uh, I'm on several lists. I, I own an Orbit and, 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 jo- and love it. It's very useful. Uh, we have heard that... Uh, the the braille me had some had some dot issues and some braille you know some braille display issues and we're wondering if those have been rectified now and that uh, the list or some of the people are saying that there hasn't been an update in the product since you know sometime in mid 2019 which kind of concerned us there haven't been updates for a while and there's one or two little things left that they haven't done an update, but it hasn't, they don't, they don't do updates just to do them because they made a product that they wanted to be kind of like a Kindle for the blind and, and taking simple notes and things like that. But, but um, to answer your first question, when we first worked with them, their quality control, I worked with them extensively on quality control issues and there were a lot of problems. So um, I can tell you the, even though they would, Test in India, in Mumbai, where they were, ship it here, and I, and I'm not joking, but I'm I, I mean this in a in a funny way, I guess, in that we get two big boxes of units, and I'd swear that it was left in a field with elephants. You know, the outside casing of it was ridiculously bad, um, and we would open up and say, "Oh my God, what's inside? Is it okay?" So we would always do our own quality control anyway as distributors in North America before we ship anything out. So we go through that. And and quite frankly, there were, you know, let's say we get 50 units at a time. You might have, you know, in some cases it was like 10 units might have been damaged. And, and some were certainly physical. I mean, we've seen boxes crushed and, you know, like things like that. But some might have been just damaged from the shipping process. But we do test them all. And, and the weird thing about the Braille Me, which um, has been true, I, I think of the old days when you have to break in a car engine. It is true that after you run it more and more, it does get better. Uh, but sometimes Braille pins would hang up a little bit and people would be annoyed with that. I do think they've improved their their manufacturing process to the way they did it. So that doesn't happen as much as maybe some of the earlier version units that came out. But every once in a while, we still get a bad one. I, I mean... I have right now in my office six units that I need to send back to India, but it's, you know, it's probably out of, I don't know, the last 150 shipments or something. I mean, it, it, it's it's not like a high percentage. And some of them weren't because of when they first received it. They might have, you know, they might have dropped it or something. I don't know sometimes. We can't prove that there was intentional damage ever, but it, we have a one-year warranty. And if it's bad, we... We swap out and send them a new one. We don't. We don't fix it. We we send it back to India and they fix them, and then we get new units. 
So, but, but there have been some, but I, I will, uh, you know, the last few batches we've had, I have to say, haven't been bad at all um, when we've received them. Um, but Larry, I've, I've owned mine for the last year and I probably have had problems with one pin um, for a little while. And usually I found that turning the unit off and turning it back on would generally clear that up. And, and, and that only happened a little at the very beginning of my, relationship with the braille me and i i would say that their that their braille characters are pretty good yeah and and it is a magnetic actuation it is unique the way it works is that you know, you have a, an actuation with this uh, magnetic pull to pull the pin up and i mean you hear this click a little bit when it hits the ceiling basically when it's you know it's pretty impressive how it's pretty fast, I will say that, but it's pretty impressive how it works. Um, but you know, nothing's perfect. I mean, it could it could eventually have a problem with one of the magnets, and you'd, you'd have a dot failure, and that could happen. But I, I, you know, we've we've been working with them for quite a while since they launched, and we're not getting a lot of people returning them. To be so, I, I'm okay about that. I think nothing's perfect, I suppose, with this kind of technology. But and you you offer a warranty on the product. Yeah, there's a one-year warranty. And can people buy an extended warranty if they choose? No one's asked to do that ever, and probably because you know, at you know, five hundred bucks or five fifty or six hundred bucks, warranties. You know, to make it work, you know, how long is the warranty good for? You know, some, you know, other braille displays will offer it maybe for a year or two, but then they'll never offer one again because they know they're going to get bit with a big expense on repair or something. So no one, has, Paul, no one has ever asked me that yet. You're the first one and I've never explored it with InnoVision, but like to ask about it. Maybe they'd be willing to do that because India, as you know, is pretty, pretty good labor rates. So maybe there's mm-hmm. a way to do that. Miss Cindy. Right. Yep. Greg, you can unmute. Hello, Brian. I just have a quick question. Um, I a lifelong braille leader, reader, and but I wonder if you hear from people that buy your products. Um, you know, I'm a JAWS user. I'm an NVDA user, and I've been asking people to sell me on why it's important to have a refreshable braille display. So, can you just kind of talk about just why you think people get braille displays, and maybe what I should consider? if I'm going to get one. Thank you. Oh my you. gosh. I love my Braille display and couldn't do without it. <laughs> yeah. Well, well I, let me... I couldn't either. Yeah. So Go let ahead. me just give you my perspective on it. Um, and again, we're, you know, Braille's our middle name, so we're, we have a different perspective. But, but in all honesty, I'll give you a good example of our proofreaders. So we have a number of proofreaders that are very talented. They're obviously excellent Braille readers and use refreshable Braille and paper Braille. They, you know, they, they do it all day long. And we, I was in our kitchen during lunch break and I heard two of them talking. And, and the idea of talking about you know, audio versus Braille came up. And one of the proofreaders said, I don't want to have someone else's voice tell me a story in reading a book. I want to hear my own voice of the character, hear my own interpretation of the sounds of the stream or this or that, and I don't want to have it done for me. I, I like I like it that way. And and so there's that personal feel of what people interpret and, and how how they envision a character from reading a book versus 
hearing a voice that they wouldn't think would be the kind of character they'd like at all. You know what I mean? The other part of it is, from a functional point of view, we care about, obviously, children literacy, uh, children's literacy a lot. And when you talk about STEM activities, we, we certainly think it's very hard to try and listen, and uh, especially in some kind of science or math equation or things like that, to try and memorize and do that while you're learning. And even language, and obviously language and, and uh, grammar and sentence construction, all those things are very difficult to do if you can't read them with your fingers, uh, just like uh, it is literacy by definition. So those are the, the two, I think, most important areas that are uh, are really critical, uh, but especially for people that I, I know personally that, you know, wanted to have certain careers and they didn't have the support to be a chemist, you know, because they didn't have the tools they needed back then to to really be able to study it the way they want. And and that's what we're trying to avoid today. And with, again, a, a graphic display that we could come out with to, that could render a molecule um, as well as having, um, you know, different ways you can read, read with Braille. If I could just chime in. <laughs> Side, side conversation here. Um, you know, I use my Braille display just to verify what I'm hearing. And Greg, if I did not have my Braille display, I would not know your name is spelled G-R-E-G-G. I would just think it's just with one G at the end. So um, it could be just as simple as that. Uh, so, yeah. And I think the other thing about Braille displays is, is that particularly in terms of reading books, I, I, have, I have a relatively... Um, small braille display in terms of in terms of the number uh, the the amount of memory that it has but i probably have i don't know 400 or 500 braille books on it mm-hmm. um, and and so it's it it's it it allows you to it it allows you to, to to read an awful lot whereas if you're trying to store a bunch of audiobooks i i would probably have only been able to store at most 20 but no nowhere close to 500 all right are you ready for the next person i am Beth. Hello, everybody. Okay, I hear your voiceover. Thank you. Hi, um, Beth. Hi. I, I have a couple of questions. First of all, I say yay for choice. I'm so glad that the Braille displays that we have, all of them are available now, and maybe there'll be more in the future. I'm very noise sensitive, and the noise of the lower cost Braille displays, even the Braille me, uh, I think would just drive me up the wall. And if you were to go to a meeting, I don't know that it would work either. So what can be done about the noise? And then the last thing is back translation was mentioned before and that it's a problem for all of the Braille note takers and smart displays. So what, what is the actual problem? What can be done about that, if anything? Thank you very much. I'm really enjoying these Braille sessions. Uh, Brian, do you want to start? Well, I, uh, yeah, and I, I think I'm going to defer some of this to you since you said you had a Braille man. I didn't know that. But but first of all, um, the, two, the two that I think um, she was referring to are obviously the Orbit and, and the Braille me um, as far as lower cost and, and noise and so forth. They're different in how they do it. I mean, the the Orbit has this kind of a kind of sound to it when yep. it populates the the braille and the, the braille me does have a noise when it pops up too. And it's a kind of a more of a clicky sound a little bit. I, I personally have shown to a lot of people and most people say, well, it's not that noisy, you know, and, and um, they don't care, but I think other people are much more sensitive about that. And, and as, as the caller was saying, it would drive her crazy. Um, so I'm, I, I, I will, I will say though, like our B to G is like super quiet. I mean, the, the, 
the keypad's very quiet and the Braille, uh, it's Metech Braille and it's, I think, unbelievably reliable and quiet. But but again, that was a lot more money. I mean, the the Metech Braille display that we put in the BHD cost us $600, <laughs> you know? So, you know, it, it's kind of a balance of value and and utility and and what you can live with, I think, too. Yeah, I don't think that reverse translation is such a big issue anymore, especially with UEB. The, the fact that I had a problem was because I didn't put letter signs in. If I had, it wouldn't it wouldn't have put in words instead. Um, so it was really a, tra- a a transcriber error or a, or a Braille user error rather than rather than a, than a problem that's inherent with reverse translation. I think that. I think the translation programs are are getting incredibly good now, and more and more of the even relatively inexpensive Braille devices are 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 including translation programs that are actually pretty reliable. So, so I don't think it's a big issue. Miss Cindy, yes, I'm Agnes. You're unmuted. I just want to send out some accolades to NBP for some things they have that have not been so far mentioned on this webinar. Uh, One of them is the Braille copy of the Constitution and Declaration of Independence. I've I've had my original, uh, the one done in in EBA, in the regular Braille, um, before UAB for years and find it a useful resource. I also want to applaud NBP for taking the time and showing their excitement for seniors who graduated from high school and graduated from college. I didn't get to view the ceremony when it was done live, but I did go on later and watched it on YouTube. And I just thought that that was very, very commendable. And lastly, I have a suggestion to make. I was thinking that in honor of Lynn Heddle and all the great work she did with the going shopping column and our special, perhaps NBP would want to put together a compendium of her articles uh, because many readers like myself always found those very invaluable and helpful. And she introduced us to things that we might not have heard of otherwise. Thank you. Well, thank, thank you, Agnes. That's uh, I'll make a note of that for Cassell to talk to her about that. Uh, that's a great suggestion. And thanks for bringing it up. I, I mean, I, I don't want to make it sound like we're doing a commercial all the time, but the during this COVID period, we did two things that I think were really terrific. One was the high school graduation, as you just mentioned. The other thing that we did, though, was we did a virtual concert. And we had people that were, you know, obviously friends of Berkeley School of Music that had graduated and some are trying to make a career professionally and and I was amazed at not only how well they did as performers, but everyone did their own kind of introduction about why Braille mattered to them. And it was very, very um, moving uh, uh, to watch. And and we also have that on YouTube, too. So um, if people want to Google that, um, I I think they'll find it really um, inspiring. So that was another fun thing that we did. All right. Betsy, Betsy, you can unmute. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you, Paul, for having this session. And I want to thank, I have a question, but I'll make my comment first. I want to thank MVP for your children's book club. I've used it through my four kids, and now I'm using it through my grandchild with a second one on the way. And I very much appreciate having those print braille books. I've got them all still. 
And, that's uh, great. Thank you so very much for that offering and making them at a price that's that's reasonable. My question is, and it's a hard one because I know you're promoting Braille Me, but I'm trying to figure. I'm in the process of trying to just get a, a reader because I crash my note takers too much because I read so much on them and do so much on them. So I needed a second device. So what I'm trying to figure out is, can someone tell me, please? Being honest, I know, Paul, you have the Braille Me. What's the difference in Orbit and Braille Me, and why didn't you go with the Orbit? So I can look at the two and figure out what I'm doing. Thank you. Well, who says I didn't go with the Orbit? Yeah, I thought you said you had the Braille Me, though, right? So that's why I said you I knew have, the Braille I Me. Have, if you know them both, tell me both so I, I can decide. I, I have both, and I'm not, and, and not going to do it here. But um, go ahead and send me an email, and we'll talk. What's your email um, address? It's edwards.paul955 at gmail.com. Okay, I'll send you one. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, you. I would I would never do that either. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> All right, Diane, you can unmute. Okay. Hi, everybody. Um, Hi, Diane. <laughs> Paul kind of uh, stole my, my thunder about the uh, Jiffy Braille because I was curious to know just how accurately that, ca you know, would come out on on its uh, original scanning. Um, but the other thing I want to mention, you were talking about people um, having their own books brailled. And um, I have a, a friend that um, had a book brailled through you called um, My Most Wonder Miss Creppen. Her name is uh, Judy Piscatello, and um, she was trying to figure out how to sell her book. And, and I told her, you know, I said, well, if you had National Press put it into Braille for you, is it possible that you could have it sold, you know, through their catalog? And, um, of course, I've never I've gotten the catalog several times and never seen it in there. So, you know, she may not have followed through. I'm, I'm wondering what expense it, there would be to an author that had you braille a book, you know, for, for you to uh, market it and try to sell it for them. Yeah. And, and here's how we do it. Um, that would be a different kind of a relationship. But when we, when we sell a book, we, you know, we choose it, or maybe it's our own authors and, and so forth, but we put it out on, for a price. In this case, what you're saying is it's a negotiation. Like if we think this could be a really popular book that we might make a different arrangement on, well, we're going to, go in a true partnership with you and we'll eat some of the costs and you eat some of the costs and we'll split some of the difference of revenue. But it's complicated because it, it depends on what scenario that author would like to do. Sometimes they don't want to, they want to just try and get them brailed and they want to try and sell it on their own. And, and I understand that they want to keep all those profits, but for us to produce it and then, and obviously proofread it is one thing, but on the other end of it, too, we need to store it, warehouse it, you know, fulfillment, distribution, all those things, uh, you know, have a cost, too. So we it's a it's a one by one unique negotiation every time. I don't recall this one that you're talking about, but, um, you know, everyone's unique. We'd have to see how it goes. All right. Indy. Now, Mary, one of my favorite people can talk. <laughs> Thank you so much. Cindy. <laughs> um, I. I get, I always buy the iPhone books that they come out, that you come out with every year. And I really, really enjoy those. And I, I learned so much from them. But what I was wondering is, could you possibly come out with like the new features of the, just say, for example, iOS 13, could you come out with that at about the same time as the iOS version is released? Because by the time I get to buy it, 
like four or five months later, I'm already thinking about the the next installment of that software. Yeah. Thank you, Mary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Mary. That obviously that's a challenge because, you know, technology just doesn't stop. And and we're, we're doing many books, not just technology books in a, in a given period. And we have to cycle them because part of it is we're not just doing books. We're doing um, textbooks. We're doing tests. We're doing, you know, business to business work and, you know, different types of projects. So, that's part of the things we're trying to do to expand is, okay, we need to fit all this stuff in the queue. And if it's going to take four weeks or five weeks to do a big run of a, of a, an iOS book, as an example, by the time we put it in the queue, it, it we might lose a month or two, even just because of all the produ- production work we're doing. And so we're chasing our tails sometimes. And, and that's true. And it's difficult. As I said, at the beginning of this program, we are looking at opening up a new center in our building in the next few weeks, hopefully. And um, that'll relieve some of the pressure in our regular production facility in the basement of our building where we can get more output. And maybe that would slow down that window a little bit. I mean, speed up that window a little bit to have stuff uh, a little more current. But um, yeah, it's a challenge, I admit it. All right, Howard. Yep. Howard, you can unmute. Uh, hello, uh, this is Howard uh, in Connecticut. Hey, Howard. I know uh, you. <laughs> okay. Uh, I also wanted to ask a question about the uh, iPhone books. We have had the updates every year, but there hasn't been a basic getting started with iOS books since uh, version iOS 11, I think. So I'm wondering if there's going to be a new one coming out soon, for maybe for 14. I don't know, but I'm writing it down and I'll have to check because I know there's a number of books that they're putting in the pipeline now. God, I, again, I, this is such a blur. Was iOS 11 was the last time we did a getting started? I, I don't recall. It, to, it, it was, and, and it was, it was only an update that, that, right. was, that was sent at the time, but it, it's almost point. time for another one. Yeah. No, you're right. Uh, and I will check with Cassell and Tony Grimma. And make a note of that. I'm making notes, guys, I promise. So, Howard, so I, thank, I, will, I will check. Thanks thank for you. your question. Um, Martha. Yes, thank you. Um, I have two questions, very briefly. Uh, the books that you will continue producing on hard copy Braille, are they going to be on UAB Braille or there could be other, just a regular, uh, the other format, um, the format oh, that we used to have? And, and I'm sorry, and the last one was... As far as writing materials, do you still just um, sell some writing materials such as slates and styli? I'm looking for an eight-line metal slate. <laughs> pins, pins up. Your first question is, we do um, do everything in UEB Braille now. Um, we don't do EBAE. Um, well, actually, I will say that our Princeton Brailleist maps are still in EBAE because we haven't rebuilt those met- aluminum masters on those. But... Um, but most of our work, we, we like everyone, we've conformed to have uh, English Braille be go to the new version and not be EBAE. Um, but we do sell a couple s- slates. Um, did you say eight? I, I forget what you said. Yeah, she said uh, the eight. Eight-line metal. And, yeah. Or eight-line metal, yeah. 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 Face up, have, pins up. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't, we don't, we don't have a lot of them, so I don't think we have that one, no. But um, anyway, that's the answer. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Um, yeah. Zero three zero eight phone number. Okay. Hello, Brian. It's Chris. How are you? Good, Chris. Good. Um, 
Well, Brian has been there uh, 12 years, but I've been there at least 44 in September. So to me, he just got there yesterday, but it is, it does, time does go by, that's for sure. Um, yeah, I want to tell people that Jiffy Braille is not, uh, we do what we're called machine checks in proofreading, and we go through and uh, we have excellent transcribers that do the Jiffy Braille, and there really isn't much of an error rate in that stuff. And the other thing that goes into the decision about what is proofread and what is Jiffy Braille is who's going to be used. We, one of the things we've always thought done before Brian was there and now continuing is how is the user going to use the book and who's going to use it and what are they going to use it for? The younger the reader, the less likely we are to do Jiffy Braille. So our kids' books are always fully proofread. Uh, poetry books would tend to be proofread, even if they're put out by pubs. Obviously, we do do proofreading for the Library of Congress. Uh, if we're going to do something like a play, we did the Harry Potter play a couple of years ago. Uh, if it's going to be used perhaps in a uh, in a classroom setting, we'll do the proofreading. Whereas uh, something that's like an iPhone book that you're, you know, these iOS updates and all that other stuff, um, you know, the, uh, it's not going to be uh, proofread because it doesn't really need, you know, you're going to basically get the gist of it or a travel book or something like that. But there's a lot of thought that goes into what's Jiffy Braille and what isn't. And, of course, SCW is going to be used like every, uh, you know, every week. It's, it's uh, you know, and, you know, as Brian says, there's mistakes in the newspaper, too. So, you know, that's fine. But um, so there's a lot of thought. And we've always been uh, tried to be consumer oriented about who's going to use it. What are they going to do? Are they going to need print page numbers? Are they going to need this kind of formatting or that kind of formatting? There's always been a, a lot of discussion about that kind of stuff. And Chris, will Boston win this year? <laughs> Which sport? And which when, uh, when baseball, and Paul baseball, and when is it baseball. going to start? <laughs> baseball, baseball is the only thing. The that Red happens. Sox. The Red Sox. You know who really do have good chances are the Bruins and Celtics because they were in good spots when the season ended and they actually may play because they're going to be in bubbles and once they get there they're going to be pretty safe. If you if we have to send our team down to Florida to play, which we do a couple of times, what's going to happen to them, Paul? Good question, uh, Cindy. <laughs> yeah. So you ready for somebody else? Well, Chris, yeah. thank you. Thank you for giving more detail than I did. Thank you, Chris. Eva. Hello. I have a quick question about Braille displays, like the ones that you might have. Do you have a simple one? It's no USB and all it has is just a, or, or no Bluetooth and it just has an SD card where you can just take quick notes on the go no matter where you are. And all you have to do is worry about charging it up. Well, the two we talked about earlier are similar to what you're saying. The the Braille the Braille me that we sell has no USB. It has an SD card that you can put material on, and and you charge it with a micro USB. But uh, well, actually, no, that's not true. You charge it with a proprietary jack actually on the US on the Braille me. But um, it is quite simple, and you can take simple notes on it. Um, in a text format, or, or or you can or a braille format, and yeah, and, or, and in fact, I would say that the Braille Me is the simplest Braille display out there. There are fewer <laughs> instructions and fewer commands um, on the Braille Me than there are on any other device that's out there. Okay, thank you. All right, Cindy Carter. Hello, this is Robert Carter, and um, just wanted to comment that I'm a huge fan of the idea of the lower cost refreshable Braille displays, and as Paul knows. Back in the early 1980s, he and I were, the, I think, the only two people in Florida who owned a tape-based VersaBraille. That's how we met. Um, <laughs> we were. Because of that, because of that VersaBraille. But, um, so we've been doing this thing a long time with refreshable Braille. I would love to see the Braille Revival League uh, do, do things to help people with these low-cost um, displays. I did a podcast, Lisa Salinger and I did, in 2019, comparing three of the low-cost Braille displays, the Orbit, the Braille Me, and the 
Humanware's BI14 uh, Brilliant. Um, so obviously things have changed somewhat since then, but those podcasts might be somewhat helpful to people. But anyway, um, I, I think it's I think it's great that we have these things, but I think it's complicated that they all are different. They're they're they aren't they're made by different in different parts of the world. They're they're not standardized, right. and I think there's a lot of I would think people would be pretty confused. Honestly, that that's kind of my comment question. Can can we can we try to do something to help people sort this out? Really is my question. Robert, we did a comparison of the. The, the Braille Me and the Orbit last year at convention. And if you haven't heard it, you ought to, because it was A, very good. Lisa Salinger did the Braille Me part, and Venkatesh did the Orbit part. So it was a pretty authoritative comparison. I think we can do more, and I'll, and I'll put it in my queue for doing a Braille Buzz call for kind of providing some tutorial assistance and doing more comparisons. We have done Braille Buzz I'm calls. On note I'm going to join the uh, Braille Revival League and offer any anything that I can do to help make this happen more. That would be excellent, Robert. Thank you. And community calls would love to have you. Robert you, is Robert. well worth having. Yep. All right. Uh, Cindy, yeah. we have eight minutes left. Okay, and we, I think we can get through these. Um, Annie or Annie, you can unmute. It's Annie Severson. Okay, we're going to go on. So if your phone number ends in... 3088, you are unmuted. Hi, Brian. It's Jess. Um, Hi, Jess. Jess oh, this, is, this, Hi. Is, this is a setup. Uh, two people that work with me. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to say hello, and uh, I, I'm thinking I was probably the person that said I you know, prefer to read books in Braille because of imagining the characters' voices and things like that. Um, so that you know, and and also, I feel like I retain information a lot better if I'm reading it in Braille versus listening to it. So I think that's actually true, and you learn how to spell too. better too. Yes. Yeah. yeah if, I, um, if I could just add uh, very quickly, so we did a lot of research with uh, Mass Eye and Ear Institute. Um, one of our trustees is a a doctor there, and. They did a number of brain scans and studies on reading Braille or, or anything tactile with your fingers and how it stimulates the visual cortex of the brain the same way that a sighted person would be using it for vision. And, and they've, they've, they're very convinced that using your fingers to read is active engagement of the brain and you learn better and retain better versus passive listening with audio. Oh, fascinating. That's, that, that is really good to know. Uh, I, this is Ani. Oh, go okay, ahead, go Ani. ahead, Ani. Um, I, I am sorry. Um, I am a rehab teacher, and uh, one thing I want to say is thank you so much for sharing this info. Some of these things I never even heard of. So I am kind of intrigued, and I am a Braille user, so I feel like I must have been stuck in dark ages somewhere because <laughs> this, this, some of this sounds so new. And I will be very much interested in joining the uh, Braille Revive and hopefully Excellent. you folks can educate me on some of the devices we are talking about. We can. We, we've, we've done Braille buzz calls on note takers and on low-cost Braille displays and other stuff, but they'll come around again. Awesome. And do you want to tell people how to join Braille Revival League again, Paul? I will. Send an email to treasurer at Braille Revival League, all spelled out, B-R-A-I-L-L-E, revivalleague.org. 
Okay, and you can also send, send me an email if you like at edwards.paul955 at gmail.com. And Brian, okay. do you want to give out your email once more as well? Sure. It's um, Brian, uh, I'm sorry, bmacdonald at nbp.org or prez, P-R-E-S at nbp.org. And our website prez at nbp.org is what I I'll never forget that now, you know, Brian. Okay, Tom Tom is unmuted. I am unmuted. I also wanted to say that this is a great presentation, although be it late I got to the party. I want to add for the guy who wanted to be sold on refreshable braille displays that if you want to become employed, you will find employment a lot easier to obtain if you have braille. And the job that I did with the federal government for 32 years, I would not have been able to do as effectively without Braille. Yep. Thank you, Tom. Cindy? And that's the last, your last uh, raised hand. So I, we, we have timed this beautifully. Brian, yeah. your final thoughts? First, I thank you, Paul, for inviting me to be part of it. Um, we've had a great relationship with, with... You do have two more raised hands now because uh-oh. I said that, by the way. Okay. Do you want to go for it? Sure. Kate, you can unmute. Hi, it's Kate. I just wanted to say hi to Brian. Oh, and my goodness. This is great. One yeah, of my trustees. I, <laughs> I didn't want to raise my hand until the end because I didn't want to take it's, away from people's questions. So, but it's I home week. agree with every single thing that everybody said about Braille and employment and spelling and immediate access to information and anything Anything positive to say about Braille and Braille displays, I would agree with. And then, Brian, I thought it was really exciting about the comparable, um, you know, thing to the Braille book bag that you mentioned for um, older folks who need Braille labeling or Braille literacy, basic Braille literacy. So I think that's very exciting. So that's it. I don't want to take away from the last person. So we actually, I've got four more people that have raised their hand, and I don't think we're going to have time to get to them. No, so we won't. We, you want to do one more? Yes, or? we'll do one more. Right. Vicky, you're the winner. And Vicky, you have thirty seconds. Hey, I'm Vicky from Utah. I'm a teacher for the blind, and I do have done a lot of braille teaching, and I'm working on a braille manual that simultaneously teaches UEB and AEB because I think they need to know both because of the Braille collection that's still there that I hope people will use. I'm a very avid Braille person. However, I love technology, but technology breaks down. And so I hope teachers and people out there are teaching people um, slate and stylus skills. And if I had to give up all of my tools in the toolbox, but one, I'd keep my slate and stylus skills. Just simply Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. And yep. the younger they teach those skills, the faster they'll be on the slate and stylus. And if they don't teach them, they don't like to learn and they fight it really bad. I work yep. with adults. Thanks very much. I'm going to have okay. to cut you off. And I love my slate um, and stylus too. <laughs> yep. Thank you very much, you guys, for being here. Brian, thank you so much. We've enjoyed having you. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. Code, Cindy. Yes, if you are waiting for that continuing education code, here's your CEU. It's 91D as in donut, 5B as in bacon. That's 91D as in donut, 5B as in bacon or Braille. <laughs> yeah, or Braille. Yeah. Thank, guys, you, Paul. Thank, you so, 
Thank you, yep. Paul. Thank, thank you, you Cindy. Yeah, thank you. And we are done. Thank you. <laughs>